I think people finding that in all of these different ways and all these different modalities and being open to like different ways to find that connection is so powerful and so needed right now in this world. <laughs> I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I've been working on my health for a long time, really dialing in the diet, the lifestyle, the whole thing. And one of the toughest hurdles for me to get over has been my gut health. Digestion issues, heartburn, constipation. I don't want to get too graphic here, but it's like the missing link for me. Until I found Just Thrive Probiotic, that is. And that's why I'm so happy to share them with you as our sponsor today. These guys make a probiotic that actually works. It's got 100% survivability. It's vegan, non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, salt-free, nut-free, gluten-free, crappy-free. It's awesome. It's clinically proven for leaky gut, and they have nine other ongoing human clinical trials. It's a really powerful way to support your immune system and your brain because your brain depends on the health of your gut and the neurotransmitters that your gut produces. So if you want to get rid of that uncomfortable bloating, embarrassing gas, leaky gut, all those issues that so many of us suffer from, you definitely want to get over to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Of course, we've got a hookup for you. If you use the code Luke15, you're going to save 15% off your entire order. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Check it out and have some happy digestion. Here we are, my fellow space travelers. Welcome to Jungle Journeys, my ayahuasca awakening at Soltara. This is part one of two and episode 262 of the Lifestylist podcast. Now, before we jump into this plant medicine deep dive play by play, allow me to create some context for this series and also to make a couple of relevant announcements. So Tuesday, heads up, we've got an amazing episode coming. It's called Soulmate GPS, Finding the Love You Want Without Losing Yourself featuring third time and immensely popular guest, John Wineland. Also, I want to make sure that you follow me on Instagram to get the behind the scenes live feeds of all my interviews and various adventures around the world, including the one you're about to hear from Costa Rica. You can find me on Instagram at Luke Story. Don't forget the E-Y, L-U-K-E-S-T-O-R-E-Y. In fact, if you're following me on Instagram right now, you could be watching a live stream of me as I stumble through recording all my intros and promos because I'm live streaming it right now. Hey, Instagram folks, what's up? I just said hi to them as they watch this whole thing unfold. And I'd also like to invite you to tune in this Friday for a very special bonus episode where I provide a detailed side-by-side -side comparison between my experiences at Soltara in December 2019 and Rhythmia earlier in the year in January 2019, which I'm releasing really due to overwhelming demand and curiosity from our listeners. Of course, when I came back from Soltara, I got all these DMs and emails saying, oh my God, I want to go to Costa Rica. Which place is better? Like, dude, spoiler alert on the comparison show. Uh, both centers are incredible and it's literally impossible to rank them better or worse. It's very much a sort of vanilla versus chocolate situation. Both delicious 
and completely up to your preference and uh, the style of ceremonies and whole experience that you crave. So I'm doing a very deep dive on Friday to help you decide if that's something you should choose to do. Also, make sure you go back and listen to my Rhythmia trilogy series entitled Welcome to the Jungle, My Ayahuasca Journey at Rhythmia, which were episodes 202 and 203, respectively. You can just search Luke's story, Jungle, and you'll probably find it in your podcast app. And then we've got part two coming right after this. They're going to be released at the same time, so it should be already in your feed, especially if you're smart and you have subscribed to this podcast. You don't have to manually go download them. This double episode, this one and part two, right after this, cover my entire recent trip to Soltara in Costa Rica, where I participated in my fifth through eighth ayahuasca ceremonies, this time in the Peruvian Shipibo tradition, a fascinating journey, which you're about to hear. So what you're going to listen to is a very intimate play-by-play account of the entire experience with no editing. It's very raw, real, intimate, vulnerable. I just listened back to some of the files and honestly had second thoughts about putting it out. It's like, dude, (laughs) be careful what you say, you know, the morning after an ayahuasca ceremony, but there it is. It's, you know, it's landed. It's it's on your app, and uh, here we go. And I have to say, this was one of the most profound and life-changing experiences of my life, beyond the shadow of a doubt. And uh, I've had many such transformative experiences, but this one, wow. Part one that you're listening to now also features an interview with my guest, Melissa Stangle, a lovely woman who's also the founding partner and COO of Soltara Healing Center. Part one takes us through the first six days of my trip, starting out with all of my air travel hacks and wacky biohacking, uh, an EMF nightmare I experienced at my hotel and how I fixed that, and really my whole journey leading up to my arrival at Soltara. Then part one concludes after my third of four ceremonies. Then part two, which follows this episode, features interviews with Daniel Cleland, who's the co-founder of Soltara, and their lead facilitator, Todd Michael Roberts. Now, before we jump into this wild ride of an episode, I feel it's my responsibility to give the disclaimer that I do not recommend plant medicines to all people at all times. I think it's something that one must give very careful consideration to, and I highly recommend being prudent about with whom you choose to partake in such experiences with to ensure your safety and to make sure that the traditions and practices are respected during such experiences. Man, when you get into the plant medicine world, and I'm, I'm a newbie to this myself, it's only been a year I've really been kind of getting down with this, uh, you know, it changes everything. There's no, there's no turning back the clock or putting the genie back in the bottle. So I, you know, I just like to have some uh, discernment when I drop episodes like this and let you know that my goal in publishing this content is simply to share my own personal journey and to encourage listeners to do their own due diligence before engaging in such uh, life-changing activities. With all that being said, fasten your seatbelt and get ready to take a wild-ass ride into the jungles of Costa Rica with me as your curious and committed guide. And of course, as always, if you enjoy this episode, please make sure to share it with some friends. And with that being said, here we go, folks. Prepare for takeoff. Welcome to the first field report from Costa Rica. I flew in last night and uh, had an amazing trip. 
I was on time to LAX, which is uncharacteristic, something I'm working on. People always ask about my flight hack, so I'm going to start with that. Uh, the number one thing that I like to do on flights is something called NUCALM, N-U-C-A-L-M, NUCALM. It's an advanced neuroscience technology that allows you to go into crazy deep meditations for long periods of time. So I did about two and a half, three hours of meditating on the six and a half hour flight. I also did a great one hour Joe Dispenza meditation where I envisioned myself landing in San Jose, Costa Rica and having everything go incredibly smoothly with just zipping through customs, walking up to the Enterprise Rent-A-Car window, getting no hassles, making the shuttle fast, everything super awesome. And it was, it worked out just like that. So it uh, just goes to show what positive affirmations and putting yourself in a great emotional state can do. Uh, one of my other favorite travel hacks is wearing earplugs for the entire trip. So when I get out of my car, and another hack, by the way, if you're from LA, is just park your car at LAX. It's a couple hundred bucks for each trip, but it's less than Uber. And just, I just love coming home to the airport when I get back to LA and just like walking out with my car keys, beep, getting my shit in my car and bouncing and not dealing with all the Uber stuff and taxis and all the drama there. But right when I get out of my car anyway, I put on earplugs, put in earplugs. And I just block everything out because part of the stress of travel really has to do with the noise. So earplugs are my first best friend. Next thing I did is I signed up for something called Clear, which allows you to whiz through security. I also have TSA PreCheck. The lines and the noise and the drama in airports is really not vibey. And so despite my not wanting the Illuminati and the New World Order to have my fingerprints and eye scans and everything, <laughs> you know... If it comes down to it, they know where to find me anyway. You know, I've, I think I did, you know, I've done one show at least on vaccines. So the, the man's probably after me. Uh, then the next thing is getting on the plane and dealing with the crazy energetics there. So I install two devices every time I fly. One is the Blue Shield Cube. One of them is called Soma Vedic. And both of those harmonize the field around me. So if you're anyone sitting within 100 feet of me on that plane, uh, you're getting dosed with some seriously good energy. And then I bring my Samina pillow for comfort. It's an amazing organic natural latex pillow. I wear my Comrade compression socks, my Get Lambs EMF proof beanie and underwear. I know this sounds crazy, and I am. <laughs> Actually, you know who's crazy is the people on the plane that don't do all this shit. But my real secret weapon is my KTC Lab. EMF sleeping bag. It's not thick like a sleeping bag, but it's the same shape. It's essentially like a black sheet. And what's awesome about this is it protects you from all forms of EMF, or at least the radio frequencies, which are the ones you want to worry about on a plane and in your hotel, when I'll, when I'll, which I will get to uh, shortly. But what's really cool about it is you pull it over your head and then it makes it dark. So it's really great for the meditation. And then I've got a number of different supplements I take. I do the Vital Reaction Hydrogen Tabs. Uh, I do about four of those every 90 minutes or so while flying. There's three products by Quicksilver Scientific that I really like. The first one is called The One. It's a mitochondrial support because your mitochondria get trashed when you travel. It's got something called PQQ and CoQ10. 
Uh, also from Quicksilver, I do the glutathione and the B-complex. And then when I arrive at my destination, I use their sleep formula that has um, nano-emulsified CBD and melatonin. And of course, while I'm traveling, I use my blue-blocking glasses. I also take tons of MagTech magnesium. That's just the easiest one to travel with. And it's four different types of magnesium that are very bioavailable. When you're traveling, your minerals, specifically magnesium, get trashed because of all the cortisol, all the stress to your body, to your psychology, uh, etc. Now, also, I really load up on Quinton minerals. Those are the purified seawater solution. And I just pound those things whenever I travel and it really helps. And then the next supplement is, um, well, how you really say it if you're from Thailand is Kratom, but people call it Kratom or Kratom. And this is a, a great painkiller and also a great way to relax. So when I fly from sitting so long, typically my back hurts really bad. So I'll take some Kratom along the way, kind of in the beginning, maybe in the middle of the flight, and I'll just bring a few capsules of that and that really helps with the back pain. But my real back pain solution is something called the Therasage. It's a heating pad that has jade stones in it and infrared light. It also has very low to no EMF. And so I'll plug that in and it's just this really calming, relaxing heating pad, very similar to a biomat, but much lighter, easier to travel with and um, considerably less expensive. Uh, all of the things that I always talk about, by the way, on my show, you can find at lukestory.com forward slash store. I don't know if I'll be able to uh, put all of this together right now, but it will be in the show notes for this episode. Okay, so that's kind of the travel. Got there, as I said, everything went very smoothly until, drum roll please, I, I roll into the hotel. Well, I rented a car, right? Roll into the hotel. I've got a considerable amount of luggage because I have my recording equipment, etc. And so, you know, it's just, I'm rolling deep. So I need bellhop. Bellhop comes and helps me out. I go to the front desk, give him my name. They're like, oh yes, Mr. Starr, we have your reservation right here. However, I have some bad news for you. We're having some problems with the government here in Costa Rica. It has to do with taxes or something like that. And so we're not going to be able to let you stay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I, I, you know, I booked the room a couple months ago. Yeah, really sorry about that. We're going to have to put you at this other hotel down the road about 20 minutes. And that's not a big deal normally. But after, you know, maybe a 10-hour trip door-to-door from my place in L.A., I was not excited to get back in my rental car with all my shit and huff it down the road. So I asked them about a closer hotel, and they informed me that there were three in close proximity, but they were like one to two stars versus this one, which I think here is probably like a four-star. Not that I'm that high maintenance, but I'm not trying to like sleep with the roaches after a long day of travel. But here's the lesson, and this is where it got really cool. So, of course, I observed my mind wanting to bitch and complain or get pissed off or feel sorry for myself and just be a victim or whatever kind of, you know, uh, tactic the ego would have used to try and deal with that. But luckily, I had enough wherewithal, I think, because I spent so much time meditating on the plane that I just actually was really able to remain calm and just kept positive energy and love going toward the gentleman that was helping me. And I just said, are you, are you sure? Are you sure there's not a room? Is there anything we can do? And I wasn't being reactive. I wasn't giving him negative energy. He was apologizing profusely. And I, of course, indicated to him that I was well aware that it was not his fault. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't run the government of Costa Rica, uh, nor the, uh, the hotel itself. And so he says, you know what? Give me a minute. Let me talk to my manager. He goes and grabs manager dude. 
he comes back and starts clicking around on the computer. He's like, you know what, sir? We found a room for you. And I thought, oh, great. Well, that worked itself out. Thank God I didn't get my knickers in a twist for nothing. So Bellhop comes back, brings me up to the room, and he's like, oh, sir, you got the honeymoon suite. And I said, no, no, I just, I just have a regular room. I'm certainly not on any honeymoon. <laughs> Although that could change in a couple of days when I'm on ayahuasca. Uh, <laughs> he was like, what's ayahuasca? Um, he goes, no, you're in the honeymoon suite. I said, okay, whatever. And so they bring me up to this room and it's like this giant one bedroom apartment with a jacuzzi and he tells me a sauna. I'm like, sir, do you have any idea who you're talking to? I am Mr. Sauna. That's actually my real, that's my middle name, Luke Sauna Story. So he brings me in here and I'm like, oh, this is incredible. It just goes to show that just surrendering to the moment and staying positive and trusting that all things will work out in time. And I'm rewarded not only with a jacuzzi and a sauna and a giant ass room, but a Finnish sauna. Now, it's not fire heated, which would be a true Finnish sauna, but the sauna itself, even though it's electric, uh, is made in Finland. And that tells me one thing and one thing only, that that shit is going to be super hot. I cranked it up. And in fact, it was. So I went down to the pool, had a very cold plunge down in the swimming pool and was just full of gratitude, came up, did my sauna and um, slept like a baby in my KTC Labs little EMF sleeping bag just because I'm in a city and I know I'm just surrounded by it. I mean, I do have the Blue Shield and the Soma Vedic in my room, but I'm like psychotically sensitive to EMFs. So I do everything I can. Funny thing is that I wake up in the morning, I do my workout, I go do an Instagram Live and a Facebook Live because I promised everyone I would report along this journey. And I take a swim, I'm feeling really good. And as I'm doing the Instagram Live, uh, a plane goes overhead because I'm quite near the airport, which is not good, by the way. You always want to stay as far away from airports as you can because of the radar. If you think 5G is bad, radar is like 5G on freaking steroids. But anyway, that's another issue. So I look overhead and I stop talking for a second and I watch this plane because we're so close to the airport. It's right above my head and I look up and it's so fucking hilarious. There's a massive cell tower on top of the hotel right on top of my room. I shit you not. And so it's just like, you got to laugh. Like you have to laugh at the irony. Uh, if you're new to the show and you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to some of my prior episodes about 5G, EMF, cell towers, etc. It's an ongoing um, melodrama in my health journey. But it was just great because I got the opportunity to see how if I had never seen that tower, my mind would have been completely relaxed. I would be having a great time and there would be nothing to worry about. And then I got to see kind of my heart rate go up and my fear. And I started looking at the proximity of my room and what floor I was on and where the tower was and all of that. And so I just had to um, surrender and let go. Although I'm very grateful that I have some of the mitigation tools that I have. And you bet your ass I'll be sleeping in my KTC lab um, sleeping bag, which by the way, those aren't commercially available yet at the time of this recording. Although my buddy Andreas, who's um, a German gentleman that made this, he also made me some EMF pants out of the same material uh, that I wear on the plane. So I just basically walk around with a tinfoil everything on. Uh, but the lamb's underwear are really comfortable, I got to say. They are not tinfoil underwear. And so is um, KTC stuff. But it's one of those things where, okay, cool. So the cell tower is right there. As I'm recording right now, it's, I could probably throw a rock at it if there was no ceiling on my, on my room. Um, but it's like, trust God, tie up your camel. That's, that's my thing. So I do what I can to mitigate 
the, the the radiation exposure, but also just have fun with it and not be paranoid, man. It's like I'm in the middle of a city. There's cell towers every five inches in San Jose, Costa Rica. They're a big fan of the cell towers here. They are just absolutely everywhere. I thought LA was bad. These guys, uh, they they like their their data. So um, so that was a fun lesson last night and surrender and just being so grateful for my room and then you know taking a, a cold plunge and working out this morning, getting some sun to acclimate my body to to the the uh, the sun here, the proximity of the sun. Now, it's the best way that you can hack jet lag, by the way, is doing breath work and watching the sunrise. Now, I didn't wake up early enough to watch the sunrise, but I did go scope it out last night. I, I crawled out, you know, kind of on the side of the building and went up these stairs. And then I used the compass on my iPhone to see where due east is so I can see where the sun's going to rise. So the next morning, I can go find it. What's really funny is it was dark, so I didn't know. But when I was when I went up on the roof to, um, to, to, to find a sun gaze, spot to catch the sunrise i would have been like five feet under the giant cell tower it's just too funny my life is just hilarious and it's about to get even more funny uh, because tomorrow i will be taking my rental car and then throwing my rental car on a ferry and heading over to soltara healing center and going through my orientation and getting settled in there uh, um, from where you will be receiving many more reports on this whole journey and probably a couple interviews as well. So that's the beginning of the trip, and uh, I'm I'm nervous a little about the the, uh, the ayahuasca, the medicine, as they say, and um, it's kind of a nervous excitement. You know, it's like it's one thing when you're back in LA and you book the trip, and you're like, oh, this will be good for me. I know I have some some internal stuff to work on. I'm ready to take. Uh, my spirituality, my introspection, my healing to the next level. Cool, sign me up. But then you get here and it's like, oh man, in a few short hours, uh, which will probably be Monday, it's uh, Saturday night right now at the time of recording this. I'm not sure which days we do the four ceremonies, but uh, when I went to Rhythmia before, I checked in on a Sunday night and Monday night they're like, cool, here's your ayahuasca. I was like, whoa, really? This soon? So we'll see um, the name of the game for me and the the really the number one principle I'm already hanging on to here and what has really changed my life over the past 23 plus years that I've been on this journey is surrender. And sometimes surrender takes action. There's surrendered action, you know, and then sometimes there's just surrender, surrender. So the surrendered action is my willingness to go deeper, to heal on um, a soul level, to take this thing as far as I can take it in this lifetime. And so I'm surrendered to the how, I just know the why. The why is that I'm all about evolution and enlightenment, and I'm going to do anything and everything I can to get as far as I can get in this one lifetime. And then the rest of it's kind of up to God. And in this case, God and the medicine. And so my prayer is just to have the courage and bravery to face whatever there is to face. Uh, and that's kind of my prayer to my higher power. And my prayer to the medicine is that I trust you and I want you to do whatever you feel needs to be done. Take me where I need to go. So uh, I'll be checking in again with you soon and doing some more short field reports. And also I'll be doing quite a few boil downs uh, if I can um, bring myself to do it, you know, pre and post ceremony, etc. For now, it's the first night in Costa Rica and I'm checking out. Nada, 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 nada.
Now signing on from day two in Costa Rica. I've just arrived here at Soltara Healing Center. Got the grand tour, little orientation, had some dinner after a long and somewhat arduous journey from the hellhole known as San Jose, Costa Rica. And I say that just because it's a city and most cities are, especially that one. So I was really pleased to get out of there. Uh, and once I headed into the coastal regions in my little hoopty rental car uh, it just got more beautiful by the minute and i started heading up into the mountains and then finally hit the coast and it was just absolutely gorgeous and some of the most captivating tropical jungle i've ever seen so it was really really great to get on the road and then i took the ferry over here and met the crew and followed them up to the property and immediately Got my gorgeous room, by the way, cranking AC, which I'm really stoked about. Got my gorgeous room settled. I had gone to the hardware store in San Jose and picked up some amber incandescent bulbs. So I got the lighting in my room all dialed, which is really important to me when I'm kind of coming back to the room after ceremony. And I uh, got the grand tour. They have a gym, a beautiful pool. It sits overlooking the ocean. There's two beaches you can walk down to, uh, which I'll, of course, be doing tomorrow. Tomorrow, by the way, is the first evening of ceremony out of four. And I sit now in the Maloka, which is an indigenous um, Amazonian structure, kind of like a giant tiki hut. And this one, I must say, is quite grand. So I'm sitting in here by myself, everyone's gone to bed, and it's just the sound of the jungle, the sound of the insects, cows down in the valley, mooing away. And uh, I thought I'd just come in here and do my field report and just do some prayers before I uh, tip off into this venture. And it feels really good to spend some time by myself in this structure, in this room, in this space, and really prepare myself for the magic that is sure to ensue beginning tomorrow. Uh, speaking of tomorrow, I'm going to sign off because 7 a.m., which is an ungodly hour for me to be doing anything, let alone something called a vomitivo. And if you break down that word using your Latin knowledge base, you might guess that it has the word vomit in it. Yes, tomorrow morning we're doing a little practice run um, with some lemongrass water. And apparently you drink until you're full and you sort of naturally purge that. And the idea is to kind of get used to that. And there's a whole traditional um, reasoning behind that in the Shipibo tradition. Uh, which is the tradition that the healers that come to do the ceremonies here at this center follow. So as much as I don't like the idea of purging at 7 a.m. or at any time for that matter, uh, especially due to the fact that in my prior four ceremonies I didn't purge at all and I was real stoked about that, 
Uh, but I am a willing participant, and I trust the elders, and I trust the tradition. So, God willing, I'll be up at 7, coming down here next to the Maloka and heaving some lemongrass water over the fence into the jungle. So, I'll do my part to help fertilize the hill, I suppose. So, I'm not looking forward to that. But again, this whole trip is about surrender, and that surrender begins right now. So, I will sign off for now. I spend a little time here in the Maloka. Tuning in, doing my prayers, maybe do a little breath work, and I'm off to bed. And I'll be back at you guys tomorrow with the next report. Today marks day three in Costa Rica, and it's the first night of ceremony, which is going to take place in about two hours from this moment. So a little recap on the day today. We started out uh, at 7 a.m. with a micro ceremony of sorts common to the Shipibo tradition known as the Vomitivo. And uh, you can guess uh, what that's all about. Uh, it was quite an experience. We drink this lemongrass tea, and you drink and drink and drink and chug a lug. Imagine like a beer bong without the suds. Uh, I drank about four cups of that until I was just so full that it started coming out of my mouth. And um, this process is to prepare you for the event known as purging, which is quite common to ayahuasca ceremonies. Now, in my four prior ceremonies, I did not vomit, which I was really happy about because it's not my favorite thing to do. Uh, but this was a useful ceremony for a number of reasons, uh, one of which being just got everyone used to seeing everyone else puke, kind of broke the ice for the 20 of us that are here participating. And it also, at least for me personally, kind of got me over the nervousness and fear about potentially puking later. Now, I'm still hoping that I don't. <laughs> but if I do, because of this morning, I know that it's not that big of a deal. And so that was the morning. And then we had a little time off. We did a great orientation, which was, uh, God, probably a good 90-minute talk on ayahuasca and how the whole ceremony is going to take place, which was really fun and informative. And then I uh, spent a couple hours down on the beach swimming in the ocean, which was just so cleansing and amazing. I was also reminded that the sun is a completely different animal uh, when you're near the equator. I always sort of boast how I'm sunburn proof and uh, I proved that I'm not today. Well, I didn't really get burned, but I was on the verge. So uh, for those of you that know what a advocate of sun exposure I am, it, I'm going to reiterate that it's really important to do so safely. So I didn't get burned, but man, I could have if I wasn't 
paying attention. And then uh, just a little while ago, we had something called a flower bath, which is where you get uh, dunked. Well, you don't get dunked. They dump it all over you, this beautiful blend of uh, different flowers. And it's just the most sweet smelling thing that's ever been on your body. And that's part of the tradition again and part of the cleansing uh, ceremony prior to going in for the ayahuasca tonight. So what's happening now is in about 15 minutes, I'm going to go down to a yin yoga class uh, down in the room where the ceremony will be taking place. And uh, that's just to kind of get us grounded and into our bodies. I'm really excited for that after traveling, just to stretch out and kind of mellow out and get into my body and be prepared to be completely out of my body <laughs> after that. So hopefully I'll have time to go take a cold shower and kind of regroup before I drink the ayahuasca. So stay three and uh, we'll see how things go later. If I have the wherewithal, perhaps I'll do a check-in after ceremony. If not, I'll definitely do one tomorrow while everything is still fresh. But so far, so good. Loving the experience here at um, Soltara. And I'm loving the fact that they follow uh, the traditions very closely here. And today we got to meet, oh, by the way, in the meeting that we had earlier, we got to meet our two guides or healers or maestros, a uh, man and woman from Peru who are very steeped in the Shipibo tradition and have been serving medicine for a long, long time. And so it's just interesting to kind of take in their energy and hear what they had to say via a translator. And I feel like I'm in really good hands. So it's with a, a, a small amount of trepidation and um, excited nervousness that I bid you farewell. And uh, as of my next recording, I will likely be a changed man. So until then, peace out. Those of you listening, we're sitting in a maloca deep in the jungle of Costa Rica at Soltara Center, which you will know by now since you've listened to the beginning of this particular episode. <laughs> but this is the first interview of the journey. And we have Melissa here, who's the co-founder of the center. And we just somewhat impromptu thought, you know what, let's roll down to the maloca and have a conversation and put it on tape. So I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sometimes oh. I have conversations with people off mic. And we have like a really deep, profound connection. And I think, God, where are my mics? We had a great talk before. And I was like, oh, this could be a podcast. But, you know, we'll, we'll recreate some of the magic now. And whenever you're talking and I'm on a break, I'm going to be having a smoke of this. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So, we were both right before ceremony. So it was nice to kind of relive and reconnect to some of our past experiences. And then definitely helped helped me with the liftoff. What was your ceremony like last night? Yeah, so it was a little bit of a late onset for me. Um, I actually had most of the ceremony after the ceremony was closed. Um, but I've been dealing with 
uh, some health issues with my shoulder recently, um, literally from working too hard, which is the like ironic thing of like working for a healing center that I'm like killing myself working for it. So (laughs) it's been at first, uh, you know, the journey has been an interesting one because at first my instinct is to be like, why am I not able to, you know, keep up and why can't I work harder? And, um, you know, really shame myself for a lot of um, that inability for my body to keep up. And um, it's been a pretty long journey, but I'm happy to say it's shifted to actually being really grateful for the wisdom of my body, teaching me how to have self-care and practice taking breaks and finding balance between work and life and also drawing a lot less meaning um, from who I am based on what I do um, because I realized how attached I am to to my productivity as a metric for my self-worth. And so that's been a really interesting journey. So last night in particular was about the felt sense experience of uh, working with my <laughs> working with my body's intelligence and realizing just how how it's so easy not to listen to our bodies or just to sort of assume the way that we have to compensate if we're lacking physically in some way. So I was really able to kind of connect to my shoulder, but then also realizing how much it actually goes up to my neck, how it's all connected to my thought processes and how when I have certain thoughts, they actually affect my whole system. And it kind of, I was like watching it travel down my nerves and, um, and then I had a really, really good uh, purge about um, being more unapologetic about um, taking time for myself and space for myself. So yeah, and that all happened in like the last 20 minutes of the ceremony and then for like three hours afterwards. So it That's was quite what I, I find so interesting about <laughs> this particular plant medicine is the compact nature of realizations like that. Yeah. Right? Having, I have a few years on you and I, you know, not to say that you haven't done other work, perhaps you have and we'll get into that. But I mean, there's things that I've been shown in a similar way, insights about myself and my life in ceremony that I didn't even begin to scratch the surface of in years of, you know, therapy and group therapy and all the different healing modalities and meditating for 20 minutes a day, twice a day for years and all the different things. It's just so incredible how, um, how you can be shown something like that without the assistance of another person. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's like, the ceremonies I've been in, the guides aren't sitting there like, so what do you want to talk? It's not like a therapy, you know, (laughs) like you don't talk to them. It's just, they're just there for you, at least in my very few experiences. But it's like you get the same realizations from ayahuasca that you would from sitting with a wise elder or a therapist or a spiritual counselor or guide where they can give you an objective point of view on yourself. Yeah. It's so trippy that you can just do that within yourself by drinking a shot of some... Jägermeister tasting weird licorice <laughs> juice. It does kind of taste like that. Yeah, it's interesting because it's it's almost like more um, self-empowering because you're coming to these realizations by yourself. And so there's no one to even project your healing onto in any way or as a crutch. It's almost like, you know, in a way it's really pointing the mirror back at you. And we were kind of talking about this yesterday where you you don't know what you don't know. So sometimes like it'll bring up memories and, and, you know, things from your past. And like, 
for for me and I think for you as well, it was just like things that we had no idea even affected us in this way. And so because there's no like therapist out there that can necessarily tell you like this is... But when you're like discovering it for yourself, because all of a sudden your neurons are firing and you're leaning into where trauma is stored in your body, you know, and having that physical embodied felt sense experience, like it's just, it, it, it really... I feel like for me, it's really gotten to like the root of some of the things that are kind of hidden in inside my nervous system that I just, I wouldn't have known otherwise. Do you ever find it difficult to be in your co-founder role here? And are you working operations? Is that kind of your seat in the bus? Yeah, yeah. Like COO. So kind of like managing the, the managers, so to speak. And um, it's such a gray area. <laughs> For, for I'm me. just thinking like, <laughs> you don't really... In my, again, limited experience, I'm obviously a novice in the world of plant medicine, um, but I'm very fascinated by yeah, so many things too. about it. But it's like, I don't feel like when I'm on retreat like this, drinking ayahuasca, that I would necessarily be able to get up and like crush it at work every day the next day. <laughs> Even though there isn't a hangover per se, there is definitely sleep interruption. Yeah, like, for sure. I mean, yesterday was the first day of ceremony and my sleep was so wacky. I mean, we started at eight. I slept for a couple hours in here after my first cup, kind of sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm meditating for like two hours a day. Then I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't go back to sleep. I'm up at seven and you know, it's just, it's very erratic. And I'm imagining mm-hmm. like working here and you're taking ayahuasca, like how often would you say you participate in ceremony while you're here doing your thing work-wise? Yeah. So kind of in the beginning of um, setting this project up and when I was managing operations for um, a center in Peru that Dan, the other co-founder had, um, I would drink a little bit more often. So it would be maybe like once once a week kind of back in Peru and um, and maybe like twice a month or so in the beginning of this. And um, it is very interesting because, you know, watching the progression because I'm living here, I'm working here, I'm doing self-work, I'm integrating the healing and then the integration of my healing affects Soltara. And, you know, it's all like, it's all very like tied in together. And um, it's funny because when I was um, kind of looking ahead and trying to figure out like what career path I wanted and I never could have anticipated this, but uh, I had it in my head that, um, I never wanted to like work to live um, in that I was just doing a job so that I could then go home and have my life. But I wanted to live to work, which meant that I was doing something that I loved. And like, I couldn't have gotten more of an answer to that <laughs> in this way. Um, but it comes with its own unique challenges because um, I'll be in ceremony and I'll have a difficult time separating, you know, work and, and because I'm like, oh, shoot, like we should do, you know, this a little bit better or why aren't these lights off or like, you know what I mean? So it, it's, it's really been, um, and the journey with, with kind of working myself to a point of where it's actually harming my health has kind of forced me to take a look at my boundaries and, you know, I'm not Soltara. Soltara is not me. And how can I make space for myself within this, um, within the space and context of, you know, being in this sort of place where your process is is happening all the time. You know, it's a constant. It's but I, I do feel like it's like the plants have kind of put me on a fast track, and I'm not really sure where I'm headed. But it's been a wild ride, that's for sure. Oh my god, I can only imagine. <laughs> Give us a little bit of background how you ended up first going to Peru and experiencing the medicine, and how that. I mean, if you can kind of summarize that story, because I want to cover some other stuff. But sure. how how you start from the beginning, kind of how you ended up interested in medicine, your first experiences in Peru, and how you ended up full circle 
yeah. uh, you know, running this place. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely uh, come from and resonate with a very Western mindset. And I come from a background in science and um, engineering. I have a good degree in engineering. And I um, you know, really thought that the STEM field was my path. And I was doing cancer research and all of these things. Um, and it wasn't until the very end of my degree where I became open to the idea of psychedelics and was kind of introduced to psychedelics. And I really opened up, oh my goodness, like there's, there's a lot more here. Um, and so right before I had to take this very corporate job after I graduated, um, I was kind of like looking on the internet, on Reddit actually. And uh, Dan, who is now the other co-founder here, uh, had posted on the like ayahuasca sub forum of, of Reddit. I take people into the jungle to do ceremonies with shamans. And uh, I was like, wow, that sounds like really interesting. And the timing just happened to be perfect um, for between graduating and starting this job. And so I just like messaged him back and forth a little bit and got a really good feeling. And I was like, I think I want to do this. And my partner at the time (laughs) was like, I'm sorry, you're going to go do drugs in the jungle with some dude you met on Reddit? Like, (laughs) are you crazy? (laughs) Like, no. And I was like, I don't know. I just have a good feeling about this. And, you know, looking back, it's kind of like that was really the first time where I actually just followed my intuition instead of really doing what I thought I should do as part of like the life path that you're kind of handed down um, from your, you know, from my parents. Um, And so I was like, I don't know, man, I've got to do this. Like if you're, if you're nervous, like come with me and we'll do it together. So um, we did. And it was, it was really powerful and um, it all kind of happened really fast, but um, I basically told Dan at the end of it, like, look, I love what you're doing. Like, I have to go take this job. I think I'm going to hate it. So like, let's keep in touch and um, see how things go. And then uh, two years later, he had built his own center down there um, and kind of expanded things. And he was looking for an operations manager. And at that time, I was two years into a job that I hated exactly as much as I thought I would. And I was asking for some big change, um, trying to find other jobs. And then um, he said he was looking for an operations manager. And I was like, if you can pay me, I will learn Spanish, sell my things, like drop everything and move to Peru like right now. <laughs> like, and he was like, okay. I was like, all right, let's do it. So yeah, I ended up doing that for a year and a half, um, almost two years. And then, uh, yeah. And then we, we, you know, we felt that um, in, he, he had sold part of uh, the previous center to another owner and was kind of looking for the next thing. And we found this amazing property in Costa Rica and just really um, felt like we could do some sort of evolution of everything we had learned from our time in Peru. And what we really felt was needed was um, an integration focus um, because a lot of these retreat centers were um, just having these... People were having these profound experiences, but then they were going back home to the same patterns and the same life and just not really feeling supported. Um, And for me, the integration was extremely difficult as well. So this was kind of like a what I wish I had had when um, when I was doing that work in Peru. Um, so trying to be a little bit of a bridge, keeping with the indigenous tradition, but also understanding people are going back into the Western world. It's interesting geographically because Costa Rica could be said to be a bridge between you know, between that's Peru so and, funny. Yes. and North America. Literally right? the global North and the global South. It's like yeah. right there. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And this property is insane. I mean, it's, <laughs> it is really, it's really beautiful. It's fantastic. 
it was the first property that we found and we looked at maybe 10 others, but we were like, no, this is it. How does it work uh, with legality in terms of citizenship and the ability to buy property and have a residency here and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually really great because um, if you invest a certain amount in actually like land property here, um, then the Costa Rican government allots a certain number of work visas for foreign um, people to come and work. So it's a still it's still a long process. Um, it takes like a couple of years to go through, but yeah. So it's it's kind of like involved in the property purchase. Oh, cool, interesting. And what yeah. happened to the boyfriend that you took to Peru? Did he have a positive experience and continue on with exploring plant, plant medicines? Or you know, it's so funny because when he uh, we're we're best friends now, um, and so but I ended up you know when we when I went down to Peru. Um, it was, you know, I was like, we, this, you know, I'm leaving. So like, we need to end this. And, um, and it was time anyway. And so, um, he like was very skeptical and, and I was an atheist for a minute there as well. And, um, just very like logical and science minded. And, uh, so he, he kind of was skeptical of me going down and he's like, you're like an engineer. I, you know, you're going to co- go down and become this like neo hippie, sh- like shaman healer person, like, you know, woo woo, all of this. And um, it's funny because it actually uh, blocked me from really connecting to the process for a while because um, I was just like, <gasps> I don't want to become this like, you know, woo woo person. And I had all of this fear around like letting go of some of these constructs. Um, he had a good experience the first time, but he didn't really connect too, too much. So then I went down to Peru and um, spent a, a long time trying to undo some of that fear and really um, be okay with my uh, experiences and kind of owning that. And uh, then a year after I was down in Peru, he came down and had two more ceremonies and cured his depression in two ceremonies. And he was like, okay, this shit works. And I was like, wow. it took me three months like for it to get out of this. And you come down and you do two ceremonies and now you're on board. And now he's like a, um, basically a hippie. You know, we go to Burning Man and stuff. So I'm like, yeah. A convert. <laughs> a convert for sure. Yeah. I, I have a hard time seeing how that couldn't happen to some degree to most people. I mean, yeah. I guess if, I don't know, maybe if you don't have an effective dose, which I'm sure is, happens from time to time, but like last night, which I, I won't go into now because I'll, I'll do a debriefing after we record about that and do a little snippet for the podcast. But um, mm-hmm. like if that had been my only experience, I don't know that I would have become a convert. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you, if you get, I mean, if you get the full experience, I think it would be difficult to ignore that there's more going on than meets the eye, you know? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> how I feel. And, you know, I think that it is, it definitely seems to open people up to the possibility that at least we probably don't know what's going on, you know? And so to, to necessarily put that in a box becomes a lot harder to, to do afterwards. And for me, it's, it's, you know, I didn't really believe in like plant spirits. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm like talking to one. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I guess the empirical evidence adds up. Like, there we are. <laughs> and what are, um, what, tell us a little bit about the tradition of the healers that you have here conducting ceremony. Yeah. So, um, so it's quite different than the prior experience that I had. Okay. Yeah. There's in the, you know, just the way the whole thing's run and the whole vibe and mm-hmm. music and ambiance and yeah. Yeah. Nicaros being sung and just the whole thing was, it was definitely like steeped in tradition. And I, I wouldn't say that 
not in a restrictive way, but you guys run a tight ship here. I mean, it's definitely encouraged that you don't just come and just randomly do your own thing. There's like a schedule and mm-hmm. dieta and all of this. So I'm curious a little bit about the origins of that tradition, at least, you know, an, an overview of that and why you chose to integrate here in Costa Rica following that tradition. Yeah. So um, I've worked with uh, the Shipibo tradition since I really got started on this journey. And um, the communities that we worked with down in Peru was kind of how we got um, connected and how we really came to know um, the way that they they do things. And um, it's very close to my heart. Um, it's, you know, there are many, many different traditions um, throughout the, the Amazon jungle. I think there's over 70 different tribes that work with the medicine. So the Shipibo are considered one of the um, older carriers of the medicine. Um, they work in a, a, a lineage fashion. So a maestro will um, have an apprentice and the apprentice will kind of study under that maestro for um, a, a period of time, sometimes you know up to 10 years, something like that, um, before the maestro kind of lets them know, okay, you're ready to kind of take this on your own. In that process, the way that the <clears throat> apprenticeship kind of works, and I'll just kind of scratch the surface here, but um, they work with different um, master plants in the jungle. So if you can think of the healer as uh, a surgeon in a hospital, the plants that they've worked with and apprenticed with and dieted with um, are kind of their doctors underneath that they sort of direct into um, and channel through, uh, through the healing songs that they sing in ceremony. So a dieta is essentially taking a small amount of whichever master plant you're looking to study with, um, drinking it, and then following a very, very strict diet, um, like no oil, salt, fat, sugar, energetic exchanges via sex or otherwise. Oftentimes, they're in isolation. And, uh, and that can last anywhere from 10 days to over a year or more. Um, and the purpose is to really cleanse the body and mind and spirit um, get to a very, very clean place such that you're able to commune with the uh, subtle energies that the plant is um, that the plant has. And if you do that for a long time and you work with ayahuasca to help you connect to to that particular plant, um, then you'll start to pick up on the subtle energies of that plant. And eventually, perhaps, um, the plant might come through you in the form of a nicaro, which is the healing songs that they sing during ceremony. So to become a master healer, it's a very intense and arduous process because you're doing that with all of these different plants that you're accumulating and they're like, you know, tools in the toolbox, so to speak. Um, and so what's happening in ceremony is it's actually the, uh, the healing songs, the Icaros, that they consider to be the main conduit of healing. So um, it's, you can't really have a Shipibo ceremony without Shipibo healers singing Icaros or, or Shipibo trained healers singing Icaros. Um, in fact, in the old days, and I think they might've told you this in the talk, uh, only the healers would drink ayahuasca and the patients would just receive the song. So to them, the ayahuasca is just allowing them access to this energetic field that sort of pervades all things. And it's, they're reading the energy field of the, the patient. And um, from that, they're able to channel these plant spirits and uh, correct the energetic knots in the, in the patient's body. So it's really, it's fascinating. And, you know, I've come in and sat in ceremony and just, um, and just not even drank, just received the song. Um, and so of course, nowadays, you know, people drink to go a little bit deeper themselves, but, um, but yeah, it's a really beautiful, it's done in a smaller setting. So I think other traditions might have um, up to 70 or more people in a ceremony. 
um, we like to keep things small and that's, that's in line with the tradition. Um, so we have about 20 people uh, and that allows the healers to go around and sing individual songs to each person based on their intention and what they read and diagnose. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so, you know, to your point about kind of moving into Costa Rica, um, you know, when we really saw that these medicines were sort of expanding into the world, um, what we felt was maybe getting a little bit lost in that was this connection to the indigenous tradition and the indigenous roots. Um, and so Costa Rica being a bit of a bridge between worlds and a little bit more accessible for um, people who may not have the ability or wherewithal to kind of go all the way into the Amazon jungle. Um, you know, we felt that this was a, a really great way to have a, a bit of a stepping stone for people. For those of us that are too high maintenance to go in. <laughs> As I, I'm sitting here sweating balls and I'm like, can we get some AC up in this bitch? Like, seriously. <laughs> well, you know, it's really cool because I'll say that, um, you know, for people with like mobility issues or people that enjoy AC, and I'm one of those people, like I I did a year and a half in Peru and like, it was fantastic. But at the end of it, I was like, you know, just, just a couch and like some air conditioning once in a while would be nice. <laughs> And um, so, it, yeah, so it allows people that maybe wouldn't otherwise do that um, to to have this experience and keep with the tradition as much as you know we can. So, yeah, I think I think that's really important because there are going to be a number of people that don't want to rough it, you know, just right. due to age or like you said, mobility. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in ceremony with people in their eighties, and like they're not going down to taking a canoe up the fucking Amazon. <laughs> you know, it's just like that's never going to happen. Yeah. That was literally our previous center. uh, So you're right. Yeah. And being here, I mean, like the room I'm in is beautiful. The AC is bumping. (laughs) I have it set to like 40 degrees every night. I'm just in heaven, you know, Um, or whatever Celsius, the lowest setting with the highest fan. (laughs) And I'm just, I mean, I'm in heaven, but... um, It's a nice place to decompress. Yeah. And just the pool and the ambiance and everything like that. Now I have, like when I went to Rhythmia before, I did have a couple of my plant medicine aficionado purist kind of like kind of like look down their nose at me like oh you have to go to this posh like five star thing that's not the real deal then I'm like it's the same medicine dude like why <laughs> sure. you're already going to purge and like see your demons and shit why make right. it even more uncomfortable you know <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. i'm i'm already uncomfortable just feeling slightly nauseous and you know seeing the weight of my 49 years worth of trauma, like yeah. in one instant. I mean, there's, yeah, it can be arduous enough without being terribly uncomfortable. And well, that's just the thing. I mean, like you that, mentioned, you know? yeah, it's like, it's so much about the the container. You know, we, you say, you say kind of like we run a tight ship here. And, and I think it's really important. And certainly what I've learned from participating in sort of different retreats and seeing, seeing things done like loosely, which can be fine. You know, if you, if you have that experience, you know, if, um, but but really what I've learned is that it's all about the strength of the container. And so the ultimate way for people to get the most out of their healing is for them to feel safe first. You have that like baseline covered and then they're able to really let go and, you know, get what they need out of it. So if people feel safe in a different environment, I think that's perfectly, you know, normal. And yeah, yeah. I think there's a certain, um, because the... <laughs> The experience subjectively of drinking ayahuasca is so, uh, there's so much disorder in that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's so dysregulating and so jarring yeah. that I, I really, I feel having that, the container and the structure, it's not like 
it's uptight or something. I mean, it's you know you could do whatever you want, but mm-hmm. it's it's not like not their rules, their suggestions, you know that kind of thing. But yeah, we try I to think keep it pretty for me, it's like just you know having to be somewhere at a certain time and like not keep people waiting and eating certain foods and not others and just the whole. Th- you guys told me I couldn't drive my car up and down the driveway, and I'm like, <laughs> I get it, that's safe. You know, it's right, like right. I don't have a problem with any sort of restrictions because I know when I get in this dwelling that we're in right now <laughs> that I'm going to be in this you know, extraterrestrial grid, like talking to God. And it's going to be like so otherworldly and so unstructured and unbridled that it's kind of nice having just, okay, this is the way we do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, don't wander down to the beach on ayahuasca. You know, there's there's a lot of very common sense suggestions slash, you know, guidelines that I think are probably very um, supportive of the experience, especially for people that come in with a lot of fear. Well, that's just it, right? And so, you know, people can have legitimate fears about, you know, having bad bad trips, right? And so um, what we, like the way that we kind of try to address that fear um, in people that maybe don't have the experience or have had the experience and it has been, you know, not supportive for their um, for their process is, you know, it's not bad, it's challenging, but you can only do that reframe if you actually feel like you're safe. And so like creating a bit of structure um, can allow people to really relax into that and just know that they're held well. And so then when they go into the abyss and enter the chaos, right? They're able to at least be like, I can trust that I'm still safe. I'm like, this process is for me. And you know, I can trust myself. I can trust the medicine. I can trust the set and setting. And, um, and in that way, whatever comes out is really you know, towards my process and my healing and you know, highest good, hopefully. I think another interesting aspect of the tradition that you guys follow here is, well, one thing I really enjoy is that you guys are, you guys are blue light informed. <laughs> so there's not like, there's not like blue light in here. I walk, I have my blue blockers. I wore those in my last ceremonies because the lights were dim, but they were still like not fire light, you know? Do, do you know that and is so, such a thing? Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh, sick. Everyone has to have red flashlights. That's what I have anyway. I travel <laughs> with that everywhere, you know? Nice. But it's... um. An interesting experience last night was just like how profoundly dark it is in here. Literally, the only light you see is moonlight coming in mm-hmm. kind of through the screen. Mm-hmm. And also, um, it was, a, a, I don't know, jarring is the right word because I don't know if silence can be jarring, but it was a little unsettling how much time in silence there was mm-hmm. also, mm-hmm. which I'm not used to. You know, there's like always kind of music and people burning all kinds of plants. And <laughs> there's a lot of like um, movement and a lot of guides and all sorts of stuff in my prior experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, I was kind of like, when, when, is, when are they going to bump the tunes? You know, it's yeah, like, you yeah. know, I'm really just sitting with myself in such a profoundly still and present way. And I'm, as I said, someone who I really enjoy meditation and solitude and I don't typically have a problem being alone with myself, but in ceremony, I don't know, there's just this certain ambiance of stillness while we're sort of waiting for the maestros to begin the Icaros. And, you know, it's like, it's so dark. It's so quiet. <laughs> and there's this ominous feeling of like, when's the medicine going to hit? You know, and it's like, yeah. I don't know. It, it's very, it, there's this mystique to it, I think, that was really, really special and different for me. You know, it's so funny that you picked up on that because um, I really love the simplicity with which the Shipibo works. So um, in this tradition, there's 
no instruments. Um, there's no altar. There's no lights. There's no. Um, there's nothing besides basically their song, their mapacho, and their agua de florida, which is what they use to kind of spray you with afterwards. I'm going to give you guys props on another thing too. Is in the agua de florida. Mm-hmm. Agua de florida. Yeah, this like flower water kind of perfume. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff normally makes me so sick. Like that will make me oh, purge because really? I can't stand the smell of it because it smells like chemicals. Okay, yeah, I'm kind yeah. of chemical sensitive. Sure. So I've just been using natural shit for 20 plus years. Yeah, you know? So yeah. if I walk in a room, someone sprayed Lysol or something, I'm like, ah, yeah, you know, it's yeah, like, it's so yeah. gnarly. <laughs> but the the little jungle juice here actually smells quite pleasant. And Todd rattled off like the list of ingredients and made a point to say, and there's no chemicals, but you smell it. It, it does smell like perfume, but hmm. it also just smells like a really beautiful blend of essential oils and alcohol. Kind of, yeah. You know? We actually started making our own here. Um, uh, so it, the, the Agua de Florida, the shamans typically use this. And um, for people kind of familiar with ayahuasca, it'll probably ring a bell. Um, and it does have a little bit of like it's store-bought, but you know, yeah. they're, they're like, they're just <laughs> buying it, like whatever. Right. Um, so actually we did make the transition to um, making our own version and it's a, it's called rounding tea. And, um, and Scott, our retreat director um, has, has kind of gathered together different plants and essential oils and things like that. And like put it in these, these little bottles. And, um, and it's such a great way to kind of really connect to the plants and also kind of cleanse. And for me, it helps keep the medicine down a little bit too, (laughs) right in the beginning. (laughs) I was actually so relieved when I got my little bottle and smelled it because on the plane ride down here, I was like, fuck, I forgot my surgical mask. I was literally, (laughs) yeah, I was literally going to wear one until you guys told me, take that shit off. You're going to interrupt the process. But I'm like, I can't smell that stuff. It's just like so... Oh, yeah. It's so gnarly. And I got the sense, and I'm so glad you you let me in on this, that they're going to like the drugstore and buying some little perfume or some shit. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's super nasty. It's interesting. And it's so pervasive in the space at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a huge relief for me. And another thing I thought was interesting, again, I've only had four ceremonies. So my contrast is very limited, but um, something that was in the, the tradition that I did before was, uh, you know, doing the snuff, the hape. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. like this powdered tobacco that you snort and I don't find that terribly pleasant, but I went along with it just because I'm, you know, I want to roll deep in the cut with the whole experience. But you guys have these little delicious (laughs) things that I've been smoking here. Those of you watching the video will know. And I'm like, don't let me go home with any of these. (laughs) They're very habit forming. Like since last night, I'm like, where's that thing? I got to go up on that. But tell tell me about what this is. Yeah. So this is not your run of the mill cigarette. This is um, mapacho and um, it's uh, sacred tobacco. It's actually um, tobacco puro, which is different than I think what they use in kind of your store-bought cigarettes. Um, It's actually wild caught. And so grown in the wild. And uh, um, from the Amazon. And so they, um, it's, it's basically literally just that. Um, and tobacco is its own master plant in and of itself. And um, every healer will have dieted tobacco at one point because it's one of the most common tools that they use in ceremony. So um, it serves two purposes depending on your intention. So it can actually ground you and bring you down. Um, if that's what's needed, it can also serve to help elevate the medicine and kind of bring you into that space. And so you'll see the the healers um, smoking their pipes with this, um, you know, before ceremony, cleaning the space, you know, kind of putting the um, the intention out there and and giving thanks to to Mapacho as well because um, it's very it's actually said uh, part of the legend that um, 
of the way ayahuasca was even discovered in the Amazon was that it was tobacco that guided um, the people to originally know which two plants to combine into a brew. Um, so it kind of goes like all the way back to the beginning there. Oh, that's interesting. I've always wondered about that when you know you look at like the bufo frog and it's like, who's the first human that was like, <laughs> hey, let me scrape some of this goo off this frog and smoke it and see what happens. Like, how the fuck did they come up with this right, stuff? Right. And I've often thought that it, like there's a relation like, well, that guy took mushrooms Mm-hmm, and then, mm-hmm. like, started fucking with this frog. <laughs> like this, you know, <laughs> it's like be, right? there has to be like, or smoked cannabis, or so. There's like a catalyst of something else. So that oh kind of God. makes sense. I mean, these these plants are way smarter than than we are. So I I imagine there is some sort of like lineage of of uh, thought or knowledge that's kind of passed on to us, and then we finally are like, oh, okay, cool. Now we're listening. <laughs> I really like the tobacco. I think because. Um, and I don't, you know, I use nicotine like kind of medicinally. I don't smoke anymore because I was super addicted to like smoking and cigars and cigarettes and the whole thing mm-hmm. forever. When I finally quit, I was like, never again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've been but, there as well. <laughs> but I find at home, I'll do little nicotine lozenges when I want to do focused work. And then I mm-hmm. come to find out like nicotine is a great nootropic in a really small dose, like two mm-hmm. milligrams, you know? Okay. So you get these little like trying to quit smoking mints and put them up in your cheek and gum. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it's really amazing for creativity and focus. And so I was like, oh, I get this. And when I started smoking this last night, which I had a little trepidation about just because I'm like, I don't smoke anymore. Like it's a hard, Mm -hmm. hard no, but in the context of this. Yeah, it's um, different. But it did like really help me um, in a much more subtle way than the hoppe, which makes me kind of sick and there's so much spitting and it's like, uh, you know? Yeah. But this, it's like I was able to sit and really be still and kind of meditate with it. And I was like, oh, I'm feeling that nootropic effect of the nicotine. Yeah. In addition to the spiritual element that you just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. It can really help. And same, similar for me, it really helps me to kind of come back to my body a little bit and almost kind of take a step back and be like, oh, here I am. I'm here. And I just like feel the presence of, of it. And like the, the nicotine kind of makes my nervous system a little more aware of the surroundings. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely my preferred mode of um, kind of settling into the space. Kind of, yeah, it kind of wakes you up a little bit too. Because I yeah. find like when I have the first cup, often I get pretty like kind of drowsy and yeah. dreamy. And mm-hmm. even last night when I s- sat back up for my song, I took a little puff. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm here again. Mm-hmm, you know, it kind of mm-hmm. brought me back online and didn't, you know, so I didn't just melt into the mat and kind of just <laughs> disappear and miss out on my beautiful Ikaro, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. speaking of which, does the singing last night from Teo and Marina was just... Oh my gosh. So and cool. I didn't, and I'll, you know, I'll do my little report. I didn't have, I only had one cup just because I kind of didn't understand the protocol. So I missed the second one. So I wasn't having like a full psychoactive experience. But still, even just like you said, the singing was so hypnotic and so beautiful and both of their voices together. And like I was listening to her sing and I'm going like, how does a human sing that high? Like, I'm, I can, honestly, <laughs> it's otherworldly. Like, she is like the <laughs> highest pitch voice I think I've ever heard live. <laughs> yeah. It's just incredible. And like, yeah. as a musician, I was going like, what key is she? Like, how is she even doing that? You know? Yeah. And there was the contrast between... The animals in the surrounding jungle. There's like some cows down there. Oh my god! There. Did you hear that cow? Oh my god! It was yeah. like its own Icaro the whole night. Yeah, there was, and it was really trippy because there was the cows, and then there was dogs over on the other side. Mm-hmm. They were going mm-hmm. off pretty hard for and a while. Friends here, and then all the all the insects, and then all the birds. And I was thinking, like, wow, that's so 
so interesting how humans have such a variety of different sounds we can make as an animal. And like the cow pretty much has one note. It's like, what? That's it. You know? It's like you know dogs. I mean, unless the dog's crying, you know, like or yeah, yelping yeah. or something because they're hurt or something like that. But dogs pretty much just have woof, woof, woof. Cows have... I was actually thinking about this in ceremony last night because I was like listening to these these creatures, especially the cows. And I was like, I wonder what they're talking about. Me too. Like, I, wonder what I was saying, doing that too. You know? I was having that same thought. I was like, are they, it must be a mating thing. Like the one cow's like, mm, get over Netflix here. Netflix and chill. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. But I, was, I was having that same thought. I thought, God, that's what a limited expression. And even the monkeys, well, you know, they have a couple and I'm like, only birds and people really Birds have, for sure have a lot more variety. This, yeah. But then I'm also wondering like, are there subtleties in the different... Like, are there differences that maybe we just can't detect? Or like, there, like, is there some form of like other communication? Because like thinking about... This is what I was thinking about in ceremony last night. Like how long all of these animals have evolved. There must be nuances to them. Like I... I and so maybe it's just... And so we hear it as part of this like big symphony of, of sound and maybe don't differentiate. But yeah, I just... I wonder what they're kind of like world communication is. It was a neat, it was a neat um, sort of, uh, you know, mosaic of auditory <laughs> stimuli. Yeah, All of sure. the animals, including the two Peruvian animals as our maestros, <laughs> right. you know, the human animals and the beautiful sounds they were making. It was just absolutely incredible. Yeah. I'm curious, um, in your experiences in Peru prior to this and then in this center, what's the oldest person you've seen take the medicine and what's the youngest person? Oh, so the oldest person, oh, God bless her. She was awesome. She's a champ. She, I think she was 74. Um, and my, I, my personal like experience that came through the center. And, um, and it was actually a, a, a group of friends that all came and there were all these ladies in their 70s. And um, it was awesome because they were just so gung-ho about just going for it. And, uh, you know, just like really like young in spirit. Um, and I, but I really commend people. I mean, we've had, um, we've had people in their seventies, um, you know, drink medicine and, um, you know, you think about that's a lot of years to kind of work through, especially if it's kind of like your first time. And, um, so, you know, I just really am, it's, it's humbling, like the courage that it takes to really kind of go and, and, go all the way down. And this was actually in Peru. So they went all the way, did the canoe thing and everything and, uh, and, uh, and came, you know, came out of it and, um, yeah, just had really, um, just did such amazing work. Um, and then the youngest was, um, 18. So that's the like youngest age oh, that's that we would your, allow. your lower limit. Mm-hmm. And then what about, did you ever see anyone younger in Peru in the, you know, less sanctioned, um, more traditional, uh, ceremonies and, from the Shipibo tradition, like before, you know, Whitey started going down and taking the medicine. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, like, do they, would they ever give it to kids or like teenagers? Is, do they have kind of a, you know, drinking age um, there yeah, in that so tradition? Not really, because um, some of the healers that we worked with actually had uh, children. So they, they, tend to have bigger families and at least a few of them will usually kind of carry on and apprentice other under their parents. And um, so actually one of the healers that we worked with in Peru um, had a young, a boy who had started drinking at four years old, just like super, super tiny amounts. Um, and to them, it's really, it's, it's truly a medicine, you know, it's not, it's not a drug. And um, uh, if anything, really, we can kind of get into the scientific side of things, but um, it, it 
continues or helps um, improve the neuroplasticity of the brain. And so young children are extremely neuroplastic already. So in that sense, it really just um, continued that. It didn't necessarily like inhibit or, you know, maybe prevented them from becoming less neuroplastic in that way. And so, um, so yeah, so very small amounts, but um, yeah, as young as four. That's so interesting. And what you're saying about the the elderly people too, is like all of the, the, like more years to unpack all the shit you've been through, you know, because it is yeah. such a, to me, like so far in my, I guess, five experiences now, the underlying uh, purpose of it for me so far has been to heal trauma. Like that's, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. It's like a healing experience mm-hmm. of things that have happened. And at times, not just in ceremony, but just all of the different things I do toward healing all the different elements of my being. It's like, I was thinking about this today. It's, it's as if the first 26 years of my life, I just completely was wrecked by other people or myself. Mm-hmm. And I've spent like 26 to 49 undoing all that bullshit, oh, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's like to think, wow, what if, you know, what if one could start the healing with plant medicine earlier yeah. before you've had as much time to stack on all of that. Sure. And that's all I'm, of that sometimes painful life experience. No, absolutely. I, you know, I feel a very, very strong calling towards helping make this accessible to, you know, as many people that, you know, would be served by it as physically possible. Because um, I think that the more that we can kind of undo some of the damage and also, you know, help people to, uh, you know, rather than kind of cover up the symptoms for years and try and do different um, things as part of the Western medical model. And there's, of course, other holistic paths to the same thing as well. But this can be a powerful way um, to really just like get to the root of it. And like the sooner we can get to the root of it, the sooner the rest of the branches line up again, you know? And um, I, I, you know, I've, we work very closely with um, some veterans organizations and that's one aspect of um, access that I think is, you know, as soon as we can possibly uh, have more access for veterans who especially are suffering from PTSD and, you know, trauma and depression and grief, um, get them the help that they need um, because, you know, some of this, this trauma is so deeply wired that you almost need like a way to connect these different parts of the brain um, to really get at the amygdala, like where your traumas are really stored. Yeah. Um, and this is a very, I mean, scientifically, it literally, it activates the amygdala, which is, you know, where you store your fear um, and trauma in an emotional level. And then it activates the um, the frontal lobe. Um, I think it's the neofrontal cortex, but don't quote me on that. And that's where your kind of conscious thinking mind is and then activates the bridge between. So it essentially is allowing you direct conscious access to these these deep-seated memories. And then you're able to like literally rewire them and create new memories or reevaluate old memories. Um, so this is like legitimate science. I mean, they've shown this in brain scans. And um, so, you know, I, I think that um, there's a place for, you know, antidepressants and all of these different medications that are currently out there. And I just think that this is a very powerful adjunct modality for people that, you know, maybe aren't served by that current model. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I got the sense in prior ceremonies that <laughs> I, I guess I talked about it in my podcast I did earlier this year. So it won't sound that crazy. But if anyone's listening, they're going to be like, he's fucking nuts. But <laughs> <clears throat> the experiences that I had before 
as I was telling you a little bit about yesterday. And some would say like, don't share your visions and stuff because you kind of, you know, deplete their value. But it's kind of my job to share these things, you know, <laughs> I put everything out there um, to kind of pique people's interest and build awareness about such modalities. But the first couple nights, everything that I was experiencing and seeing was very mechanistic. And it was also otherworldly or other dimensionally. In other words, like I didn't have relatives from the past visit me that mm-hmm. have passed on. I didn't um, see faces or animals or trees or dirt or sky or water. There was nothing earthly. It was all like not outer space, but other dimension. Mm. And it was as if I was like in this, not alternate reality, but as if the veil of my physical senses had been pushed aside or lifted. And I was like a fish that had poked his head above water and was like, oh, fuck, there's a whole other world up here. Have I been in water this whole yeah, time? <laughs> yeah. And so it was like, whoa, I've, I'm like accessing this grid. It felt like a grid or a matrix where this intelligence coming in the form of this light machinery slash ET craft kind of situation <laughs> was hovering around me, in me, above me, and I'm laying in my mat and I'm sort of being enveloped in this, just this wow. ET thing. But not ET as in like little green men, but more mechanical, light, extraterrestrial, meaning not of this physical world. Mm. And what it was doing the first couple nights was doing like mechanical surgery on my body and specifically on my brain. <laughs> and so it would like, these light sort of geometric patterns that you see kind of when you typically hallucinate on different things were there, but they had a purpose. They weren't just random like, do, 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 do. Oh, a light show. This is fun. Yeah. It was like, I got the sense, okay, we're going to do some shit. And I just surrendered and I'd be, <laughs> okay, I'm ready. Do whatever. And then it would, <laughs> little things would kind of come down and like go in my brain and start moving stuff around. And I could yeah. feel things inside my brain like being sort of jarred loose and adjusted. It was like a chiropractic adjustment from <laughs> from an ET spaceship made of neon lights that don't stop moving in different shapes. Wow. Yeah, so but you there felt were, there was like an intelligence. Yeah, right yeah. And it, and it knew what yeah. it was doing and it knew exactly what it was going for. And there was one point in which... I mean, I can't wait to share my experiences here, but these are the, you know, the most recent ones that from, aside from last night. But there was one point where I started really seeing the... Hmm, the depth of some trauma that I had experienced as a kid for a long time. And I've dealt with it. I've talked about it. I've written about it. I've been to therapy. I've done the 12 steps. I've done fucking everything to heal it. And it has healed a lot. Mm. But I was shown like kind of (laughs) that it was much worse than I ever thought, you know, in a sense. Like it had impacted me negatively much more profoundly than I could ever conceive of until that moment. And it was really centered kind of in my heart, you know. And then those sort of entities or that intelligence and that kind of light machinery thing telescoped this kind of beam or rod of light down out of itself into my, toward my chest. And it was like, like clicking and making all these sounds. And then it like locked onto my heart 
chakra wow. and was just like, <laughs> like physically healing it, like R two D two kind of shit in oh a way. You know gosh, what I mean? I literally pictured R two D two. Yeah, like, like when he little... pops out his little <laughs> yeah, yeah, and connects. Yeah. It was it was kind <laughs> of like that, but not they they weren't robots, but yeah. they weren't little alien grain men. It was like I said, just this other expansive non local intelligence that mm-hmm. knew exactly what I needed and proceeded to do that. Yeah. And that's when like the tears are flowing and all this stuff, but it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't like sometimes you cry and you're expressing grief and it really sucks, mm-hmm. you know, to feel it. It was actually kind of joyful, even though it was profoundly sad. Yeah, like you're unlocking this part that you maybe didn't have yeah. access to before. Yeah. So in the heart and the brain specifically, um, to your point earlier, is just <laughs> some sort of surgery happening there, yeah. divine, divine surgery and healing <laughs> that I don't know would be possible in any other way. I mean, I'm sure there are, you've got EMDR and hypnosis and sure. all sorts of, you know, there's all sorts of things which I've done and they've been helpful, but that kind of thing is just such a, like, so impactful and runs so deep and you really get the sense that it knows what it's doing. Well, that's just it. You know, for for me, I mean, I've never come across anything more powerfully personal in the way that it know it seems to know exactly what you need. Even if you don't necessarily know what you need. It's just kind of like you were saying, it's almost like you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how these things affected you or what even was. So it's hard to know where to start when you're, you know, trying these other, um, like talk therapy or, you know, some other forms of, of therapy, um, or you're masking the symptoms with, you know, other chemicals. And so like for this, like to, cause I, I did, I did cancer research and I, you know, was very like interested in figuring out how to, um, cure, you know, this disease from like a biological standpoint and, um, coming into this work, you know, it really opened up and expanded my idea of what healing really means. And because I had never seen any um, any sort of medicine or therapy um, be so effective across so many different types of things. I mean, you're talking grief, trauma, depression, anxiety, PTSD, like chronic illness, autoimmune diseases, diabetes, like physical injuries. You know, it's just like the, the spectrum of things... Um, that, you know, because, and, and I think that the reason for that, um, or, you know, one of the reasons for that is because it, it actually views you as a whole person. You are, you are more than just your physical, chemical, bodily makeup. You are also an emotional being and, a you know, mental being and a spiritual being. And so like by addressing all of those parts of the self, especially in the context of ceremony, because ceremony invites that connection to ritual and spirit and, you know, the, the container within which to have um, an experience where you're able to like let go and get to that next level um, is, you know, that's to me, that's what holistic healing is about. Like looking at the person as a whole being and addressing it as that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I think many of us, myself included at times have chased our tail trying to fix it from a uni or um, like a single 
a direction. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, oh, exactly. I'm having these physical symptoms. Let me go after that. Or, oh, I've got totally. depression. Let me go after the mind. Or yeah. I think I need God in my life. So you go after that. And then yeah, yeah, exactly. At times you kind of end up in this maze of like, uh, you know, whack-a-mole at the fair, <laughs> you know, where you're like, okay. This is the I, perfect visual. <laughs> I got my, I fixed my digestion. Oops, anxiety, fuck, yeah, you know? And then it's yeah. like existential loneliness. Oops, you know, it's like, you know. <laughs> oh my God. It, yeah. It is, it is hard to find kind of one thing uh, seemingly in my journey, and I've looked wide and far, um, that does address things in a holistic way like that. It's so fascinating. One of the things yeah. I think that's really crazy about um, plant medicines and you know, specifically thinking of um, iboga and ayahuasca is that this, is, and this was a huge barrier to entry for me, having some, been someone who had really gnarly drug addiction problems and alcoholism and all this stuff earlier in life. Because the traditional Western model that's been most successful throughout recorded history is complete abstinence and then developing a spiritual framework by which to live, mm-hmm. a la 12-step programs, right? Mm-hmm. Going to rehab, like what do they teach you? They teach you the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You pay 30 grand for that fucking book, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. And so the model there is like, your problem is you need to find God. And if you find God, you'll be healed and you won't have the desire to drink and use because you'll be healing and living your life in a way that is less painful. Like, Mm. in other words, you find a way to interpret reality subjectively that doesn't hurt you anymore. You can live within your own skin by practicing spiritual principles and finding God. But the price for entry into that life is complete abstinence. Mm. So if you're like a weed head, you can't start drinking beer in place of weed or you're going to become an alcoholic. And if you're into crystal meth, you can't like switch to Coke to get out, you know. Right. Because I tried all that. I literally would be like, hmm. I remember, um, and I realized I was an alcoholic, for example. This is the kind of logic that fucking addicts come up with. (laughs) This is like, this is a real plan too, I swear to God. I was really bad alcoholic in my, you know, kind of through my teens, it started to progress. And then by the time I was in my early 20s, I was very much aware that I was like really a hardcore alcoholic. And so I just could, I mean, I drank every day. I couldn't stop. I was just out of hand. It was fun at times. I'm not going to lie. I never <laughs> fun. Yeah, I was living in Hollywood. I'm 19, 20, like having fun, as you can imagine, playing in a band. Yeah. But I realized like, man, this is getting really bad. And so um, someone turned me on to heroin and I, I realized right away that if I did heroin that I couldn't drink and didn't want to drink. And a couple of times oh, I tried to drink and you would just puke profusely and it was like an antibute, you know? Wow. Yeah. You can't really drink on, on heroin. At least none of the junkies I hung out with could. Okay. So my thinking was like, this is amazing. I'm just going to do heroin. <laughs> replace that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like yeah. a junkie. That's perfect. You know, <laughs> I was like, as long as I'm not an alcoholic, those bums, you know? Um, and that, you know, that was the pattern for years was like, uh, and then that wasn't working. So I'd switch to something else and, you know, I'll just do pills and weed to get off the heroin. And it's just, it's such a fucking nightmare of a rat race. Yeah. But the weird thing about the medicine world is so many people become struck sober for good from going and doing what is ostensibly a drug. Yeah. And like, I, I like, like that I, makes no sense, to, sense to my like sober paradigm. How does right, that work? Right. And like arguably one of the most powerful hallucinogens that exists. And, and it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think it's really fascinating and it really speaks to the fact that 
this is a medicine and not a drug that um, there's a reverse tolerance with it. So actually over time, you will need less to connect with it um, in, in general. Um, it's not something that you like build a tolerance to and then you need to take more to feel it, you know, kind of thing. Um, it's one of those where um, the more that you are kind of in that space and connected to it, then actually the less you need to actually get there. Um, and that it's it's absolutely not addictive. I mean, I certainly know quite a few people that are like, I'm never doing that again because I don't need to. <laughs> like I got got my answers and hung up the phone, you know, and um and you know, and then of course there's people that like me, I have I feel like I have a little bit of a longer term relationship with it. Um and you know, it's something that uh that over time I'm more and more spaced out with. And at this point it's really just like checking in to, you know, make sure the boss is happy with uh what's going on here. But um, but you know, my time between it is is you know, I have no desire to to really get there, and um, and you know, it's what we hope for anyone who comes through here um, is you know that they they'll go home and they'll integrate and they'll do their homework um, and you know live a better life and never come back. Like that would be beautiful, you know. Um, some people come back like once a year, but yeah, it's certainly something that's not what you would think in terms of um, like a, a drug or substance like that. It's strange that it doesn't trigger other addictions. That's what's weird. Yeah. Because I know for myself, there are certain drugs. I just... People people that like have never had the problems that to the degree that I and so many of my friends have had, they're like, oh, you could probably smoke weed. No, you're different. Or like, you could have a glass of wine. Like, you, you're not an alcoholic anymore. I'm like, dude, fucking trust. You just you have to trust understand. me. You don't understand. You just have to trust me. You think I didn't try that before like I checked <laughs> right. myself into a rehab? Who goes to rehab? Because they're like, I can probably lick this, but I'll go spend 30 grand, you know, yeah. just for the fuck of it. It's like, no, dude, there are certain drugs that are truly gateway drugs and they will lead you back to drinking. They'll lead you back to opiates, to Coke, to all that. And it's like... For me, I don't know. I, I've never met anyone that's like, oh man, you know, I was sober and I went and did ayahuasca and now like I want to do ayahuasca every day or it led right. me back to other drugs. It's just, yeah, it's, it's really interesting in that way. You know what I think it is? And I, we were kind of talking about this yesterday. Um, we work a little bit with Gabor Mate, who is um, a trauma and addiction expert. And uh, he has uh, a big theory about addiction and it, you know, coming from childhood trauma. And he also says this, this thing that it just really struck me as so powerful, which is that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. And so um, this idea that like we are wanting to to connect to something and feel that sense of connection. And so, you know, what I'm thinking is that, you know, maybe with some of these other substances, it's almost like you your body almost like needs the substance to feel a connection because it's connecting to the substance. Whereas with ayahuasca, it's kind of like a big shiny mirror and it allows you to connect more deeply with yourself. And that's kind of like the ultimate goal of the the medicine. At least that seems to be what comes out of people um, is like really integrating with themselves. And um, once you are able to do that, you know, you don't need the medicine anymore. You're, you're kind of able to take that into your life. And um, and it doesn't necessarily lead you to want to like connect with something else or even need ayahuasca to connect with yourself anymore. Could yeah, I, I, I think that theory um, makes a lot of sense because in the realm of addiction recovery, it is it's the underlying trauma typically that leads one to have to self-medicate and then become addicted. And then there's this, sure. this loop of even more trauma and chaos that's produced by living yeah. as an addict. Mm -hmm. But 
the thing that gets most people sober is having a spiritual experience. And so (laughs) that's what ayahuasca gives you as a spiritual experience, you know? Um, And I think, I mean, I've had, I've had spiritual experiences on LSD and on mushrooms in my prior life, the latter of which actually led me to getting sober, which I didn't realize until years later, but it was a mushroom journey where I just completely had a meltdown and had a horrible trip. And that trip led me to a couple months later cleaning up. Um, But um, going back to the, the addiction thing and the spiritual experience, the whole purpose of the 12 steps, which are undeniably the most widespread and most successful method of getting people sober uh, the whole purpose of that is to integrate your life in a way that you're living in a spiritual experience and you live by these sort of aspects of God, which we call spiritual principles. So much so, um, based on that, that the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love the history because it's just such, we're so close to it. And it's kind of so pervasive in our culture. I don't think many people pay attention to what an impact the 12 steps have had on the world and mm-hmm. certainly Western culture. Um, like just millions of lives have been spared and millions oh, yeah. of family members have been spared yeah. from, you know, from interacting with the toxicity of an addict or alcoholic. But yeah. in the beginning, what made that kind of emerge in time and space when it did was this guy, Bill Wilson, who's the co-founder. And he checked himself into a hospital and he's having delirium tremens from alcohol withdrawals. And he had this white, what's called a white light spiritual experience where the you know, wind blew into the room and it was filled with light and he had this experience of God and he was struck sober. Wow. Yeah, in that moment. And he was like a gnarly, gnarly, hardcore, like gin, vodka pounding, like gutter alky, you know? And then anyways, the long story, he met this other guy and they started sharing together and they had that connection. Bill went and talked to this other guy named Dr. Bob, who is a hopeless case in this small town called Akron, Ohio. He goes to see this guy, Bob, because he's like, I got to tell someone, I got to help someone. He got the idea of being of service. So he finds this guy, Bob. That's such a beautiful story. Because when he had that, when he had that, ah, oh man, I wasn't planning on that. When he had that experience of God, that white light experience, one of the big takeaways was that he had been a selfish motherfucker and he had to go help other people. Wow. You know, because when you become isolated in addiction or alcoholism, you become so myopic and just so self-centered and selfish. You sure, know, it's just sure. you're just constantly in this animal survival mode. And so you're just like a wrecking ball through everyone's lives. And you're it's like this rapacious sort of taker energy, you mm-hmm. know. And so mm-hmm. he had this experience. He goes find this guy, Bob, who was also hopeless and was like the town drunk of a doctor. And just from talking to each other, they both got sober and then it blossomed into this thing. Oh my God, that's amazing. That sobered up millions of people because they found a connection. Yes. And it wasn't a judge, a cop, a priest, a rabbi trying to tell them, you know, shaking their finger in their nose, telling them, you need to stop drinking. It's not a moral issue. It's an illness. It's a spiritual illness. And they, they grew an understanding of that and started these groups and meetings. And it is what it is. But I said all that to say, Ultimately, toward the end of his life, Bill Wilson, the co-founder, sort of pulled away from Alcoholics Anonymous and um, because there was egoic attachments to it that he started to become aware of. is like, I'm the founder of AA, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So oh, he sought humility and sort of more anonymity in his own life and stepped mm-hmm. out of the kind of the public eye. 
and then started experimenting with LSD. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> so much yeah, he was yeah them. he was he knew Aldous Huxley, and there was this whole it's oh, sort wow. of mired in in um, some ambiguity the history there. You know, there's mm-hmm. not a lot known about it, but it's definitely been confirmed that he had a number of different sort of clinical experiences with the LSD because he sought to find a way to give people a profound spiritual experience like that. Wow. Go with the quickness rather than yeah. necessarily having to sit in church basements for 25 years. Sure, you know, sure. And, or have and, it be through some intense amount of suffering then you... Right, right. 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 And wow. so um, it could be said that, you know, um, if a purist of say recovery or sobriety could say, well, that guy didn't die sober because he used a drug, right? right. But I would argue to say that um, he probably had some pretty profound spiritual experiences again that were induced by that psychedelic experience. So, wow! And I'm I just, just getting my head around. You know, it's yeah. like I'm I'm coming at this from the angle of recovery and like how this all plays together, and I'm seeing all these correlations, and it's just fascinating. Yeah. No, I think that's a beautiful story of of finding connection in in these different healthy ways that really serve and like and lead people to be in service. And ultimately, I think when you are like, when you find that connection, all of a sudden you can realize that you're part of this larger picture and that maybe the myopic, you know, sense of, of worldview, all of a sudden it's like, there's a lifeline out, you know, and then finding that, then all of a sudden your your maybe your world can open up and just that's so, that's so powerful and beautiful that like from that connection became a, a, commu- a larger community, a global community of people finding connection and finding community and finding that healing in that. And I mean, I think that's, you know, I, I've really felt that like at the end of the day, and I've I've had this come to me in ceremony. It was my, my very first ceremony actually, where I felt that I just felt this like love and connection towards all of the important people in my life. And just like really feeling so much gratitude that I had these connections in my life. And I just remember thinking like at the end of the day, it really just comes down to the people. It comes down to the people in your life and, you know, the the way that you connect to them and then, you know, beyond that, the world. And so I think people finding that in all of these different ways and all these different modalities and being open to like different ways to find that connection is is so powerful and so needed right now in this world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you for finding a way to do that yourself here. It's really oh, it's really special. Cheers. It's an honor and mostly the plants. I'm just kind of following my feet here. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you before we close is, have you worked with any other plant medicines or psychedelics in a in a not a burning man capacity, but in a <laughs> not, not there's anything wrong with that, no sure, judgment, sure. but um, you know, in the context of spiritual growth and gaining insights and things like that. And if so, do you uh, and your partner Dan have any plans to ever work with any other medicines, or you just really like found your resting place with ayahuasca? Yeah. So, um, well, within the context of of Soltara, um, I think we are at least for the moment, going to kind of stick with ayahuasca, um, feeling that it's important for people to make the space to kind of go really deep with this medicine and creating the container for that. Um, That being said, you know, there are many other powerful and effective medicines out there. And I think that, um, you know, 
if people are called to different things, just finding the right container for those. So when I was in Peru, I did have the uh, amazing opportunity to um, work with San Pedro cactus. And so um, that's mescaline and um, it's a totally different but equally powerful for me medicine um, as ayahuasca, but it, uh, yeah, it, it acted in a, in a totally different way. Um, and it's done during the day and it's a much longer ceremony. It can last up to 12 hours and um, it's a very heart medicine. And um, I would say that kind of like the closest analog um, I could think of that people might be more familiar with is kind of MDMA. So in that sort of heart opening um, bodily sort of medicine, but um, but having this kind of spirit attached to it as well. Um, you know, some people say it's kind of like a grandfather spirit. Um, and so, yeah, so that was really, really beautiful. And so um, we would run separate retreats down in Peru where people could come and um, work with that medicine in the mountains of, of Cusco and the Sacred Valley. And um, that to me is also one of my um, big teachers in, in this path. Uh, but yeah, so for, for ayahuasca, um, for Soltara, really wanting to stick within the tradition of Shipibo. And so they're very, you know, kind of like bare bones about, you know, what is combined with it. And uh, um, there's other different master plants that they might work with, but that's really for people who are looking to go a little bit deeper. So we're hoping to collaborate with um, some of the healers who have centers in Peru if people kind of want to go deeper into the learning or apprenticeship path. So, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Last question. What does your family think of you <laughs> leaving your former <laughs> kind of normal cookie cutter life and having this journey. Yeah. yeah. So uh, my mom, uh, so my, my parents were both hippies in the 60s and 70s. And so um, obviously that's a whole different context. Uh, but my mom was super gung-ho about uh, about me kind of breaking off and, and doing this thing that um, she saw had you know such a big effect on me. Um, my dad is kind of where I get my scholarly side from. And so at first he was a little bit more skeptical of like, you're giving up your master's degree from an Ivy League college to go and do like drugs in the jungle with like, you know, corporate America will never accept you after this. And so it was definitely a little bit like, no, I, I see this is, this is risky for sure. Like this is definitely putting a lot on the line, but um, I just couldn't like, I didn't find much meaning in um, in what I was doing at the time, and so um, since then he's come around. And you know what? What he's I'm very lucky to have supportive parents that are just interested in me having my professional happiness. So sweet, yeah, awesome. Yeah, my mom's actually come down and do, done this, and so oh, um, sick. yeah, wow. yeah, she did the whole thing for the first time, and so proud of her. <laughs> God, I would love for 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 my parents to have the opportunity. I don't know that that would. I don't know that that would be in the cards, but man, <laughs> that's the thing. Whenever I'm on the medicine, I'm like, I, when the ceremony's over, I'm going to call all my friends. I can think of every friend. <laughs> like, you guys have to do this. And then, I, you know, the next morning, I'm like, no, nah, don't, you know, it's not, it's, I'm not like Mr. Plant Medicine yeah, yeah. promoter, you know. But, but here if you have questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm just like, oh my God, you can like, because you see your patterns, but you can also see the familiar familial patterns oh, the whole lineage there's such a huge piece of that of seeing where you came from and yeah that was you know, a huge your, piece of it your 
your twisted and gnarled family tree of sorts. And 100%. so it's like, oh my God, if I could somehow get my parents down here and like not tell them what it is or something, you know. Just, oh, I think they say just, like, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family, right? Yes, I love that one. I love that one. Yeah. Yeah. I remember texting uh, my parents and just dropping the word ayahuasca in the text. And I don't think they know what it is probably. So they, because they would have been like, wait, what? What are you doing? You know? All right, honey. Sounds yeah. Funny. And they're just, okay. I just kind of went over their head. We'll just leave it at that uh, for now. Of course, they, you know, now it's like everything's, I live stream all this shit. So if they follow, I know they follow me on Instagram. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. Yes, I'm here. Don't worry. I'm safe ish. Um, I'm just forgiving you more. <laughs> Generational cycles, man. Doing the work. All right. So uh, my final question, drum roll, please, is who have been three teachers or teachings that have influenced your life? Ooh, three. Could be a book, a person, a philosophy, anything like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll go with the the answer that just immediately comes to me because it's always true. Um, my mom is certainly one of my greatest teachers. Uh, we often joke that she's never met a stranger because she just greets everyone with uh, so much love and connection. And she's just got this really like loving, vibrant energy um, about her. And, uh, and yeah, and I'm just, you know, I'm very, uh, grateful for to kind of have had that relationship with her and and continue to have that relationship, um, with her. Um, and then I would say, uh, I'll actually, I'll have to, I'll have to say my, my dad as well, because from him, I really got the, um, the, the scholarly aspect and also the the wonder about the mystery of life from him. So uh, we would go to church and then when my mom didn't join us, my dad would take us into nature and um, we would go on the rocks by the river and he would say like, this is my church. And every um, August around my birthday, we would uh, go and sit under the stars, stars and watch the um, the Percy's meteor shower. And he would kind of explain to me um, about astronomy and, and the stars and um, physics and string theory and all of these different things. And um, so it really instilled in me a sense of like, there's more to this life, even if I don't necessarily subscribe to um, the, uh, you know, the, the religious aspect of, of spirituality. Um, and then... Um, I would have to say my my friend from college, uh, one of my best friends, Katya, um, she was born in um, uh, Zimbabwe, grew up in Swaziland. Um, she's Russian. And she came from just extremely like humble living situation where they would, she would have to study by candlelight because the power would be out. And um, there was water rations and food rations and um, crazy stuff with the government over there. And she just really like worked her way to come to the US and, you know, go to a school and just really, um, really just like make her way. And what what struck me the most about her um, and was so humbling was that wherever she went, she was home. And so she was this like amazing self-contained spirit where wherever she is, there she is. And like, it's just, everything is okay. And that's just been 
a really grounding, inspiring thing for me who had a lot of fear kind of leaving to go to a different country and go into the jungle and like, you know, pick up my life and and step into the unknown, um, just like her bravery and courage. And yeah, so really, really grateful for all of them. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Thank you for asking. Yeah. And thanks for doing what you do here and having me down. I'm really excited for ceremony tonight and for everything that's to come. So you've really done something very special here and I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Luke. Thank you so much for coming and for trusting us with your your journey too. It's really an honor to be able to kind of connect with you and have you share your story so vulnerably. I mean, it's inspiring. It really is. Thank you. Yeah. More to come. (laughs) Stay tuned, folks. More will follow. (laughs) What a long, strange trip it's about to be. (laughs) Cheers. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. Those of you that heard episode 206 will remember today's sponsor, Sakara. I had the two founders on the show, two fantastic women making fantastic food, really outstanding company, and one that's going to be very supportive in the new year as we all try to set our healthy eating goals. These guys deliver to your door in the U.S., organic, ready-to-eat meals that are chef-prepared with powerful plant-based ingredients, and they are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. So they've got breakfast, lunch, and dinners. The menu changes weekly, which I find really helpful. Sometimes when I get meal delivery, I start getting sick of the meals, then I stop ordering. You're never going to get bored of Saqqara, and they're going to make it really easy to maintain your 2020 dietary goals. We all know we should eat organic. There are certain items that we should avoid in our diet. That's really difficult. When you go grocery shopping, you get lazy. When you eat out at restaurants, Saqqara makes it very simple and very easy to uh, comply with what I think your dietary standards um, probably are if you listen to this show. So I'm super stoked to have them on board. Uh, also worth mentioning is that along with their delicious meals, Sakaro also has daily wellness essentials. They've got supplements and herbal teas to go ahead and support your nutrition along with the amazing food. And I'm going to recommend to boost results, try their best-selling Metabolism Superpower. It's an all-natural remedy for bloating, weight gain, and fatigue. So if you add that to their delicious chef-prepared, home-delivered meals, you are winning. And these guys are kind of famous. They're doing some cool stuff. They've been uh, featured in Vogue, Goop, the New York Times, tons of press. They've been around for many years. I'm a huge fan, and I know you will be too. You know what you're really going to be a fan of? Getting 20% off your first order. What? Yep, that's right. Go to sakara.com slash Luke, enter the code Luke, and save 20%. That's sakara.com. S-A-K-A-R-A, sakara.com forward slash Luke. The code is Luke to save 20% off. Make it real easy to stay on your dietary goals for 2020. After spending 23 plus years in the trenches of the health and wellness scene, I've seen so many products and different modalities come and go, whether they be supplements or different technologies. But there's one thing that has stuck that I truly believe in and that I use every day, and that is red light therapy. There have been so many proven benefits that it's hard to actually list them all. But here are just a few. Red light therapy repairs sun damage and actually helps you to tolerate sun exposure better and more safely, reduces wrinkles and blemishes, 
enhances muscle recovery and peak performance, heals acne, fades scars and stretch marks, speeds wound healing, reduces joint inflammation, and increases testosterone production, which is one of my favorite benefits. Red light therapy is so easy to do. Essentially, you stand naked in front of a big panel of red light and it does magical things to you just like the natural spectrum of sunlight does. However, it's very difficult for most of us to get enough red light which only happens at dawn and dusk, by the way, on all of our bodies. So enter the Juve devices. That's J-O-O-V-V, which I've been a huge fan of for the past couple of years. And uh, literally, man, I have these things kind of all over the house and I use them all the time. I even have the Juve Go that I use for travel. Uh, it's had a tremendous impact on my health and so many people that I know as well. So if you want to check it out, which I encourage you to do, Go to juve.com. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. Juve.com forward slash Luke. Over there, you'll find tons of content and studies that they give away for free, as well as a special bonus when you use that link. That's juve.com forward slash Luke. And now back to the interview. Day four report. I just wrapped up my interview with Melissa, as you now know, which was a really fun conversation and one that was uh, full of surprise, emotional moments. <laughs> I think the medicine has sort of taken effect uh, in very subtle ways. And speaking of subtle, I wanted to give a report on the ceremony that took place last night, which was the first one. And I'm about 20 minutes from heading into the second one. Uh, yesterday's experience was really mellow and <laughs> I struggled a little bit because I don't know that I had expectations of the type of experience, but perhaps the intensity. And so the way this particular tradition works is that you're served one cup for the beginning of the ceremony and then you have the opportunity to have a second cup. And historically, I've never had a psychoactive effect in any profound or discernible way from the first cup, although some people do. So I had my first cup and I was a little confused on the instructions as to when the second one happens. And so I just essentially felt sort of relaxed and dreamy and sleepy, which is common for the first cup for me. I was kind of waiting for the second one. And then next thing I knew, I had sort of half slept through the ceremony a bit. And, and then it was over at some point and I didn't get the second cup. And so I had to kind of surrender into that distraction of me thinking, when is it? Because it's, it's, by the way, in the uh, Maloka, it's just pitch black, as I indicated uh, in the interview with Melissa moments ago. But there's really very little sound and very little light. You can't really tell what's going on. It's all very ethereal and mysterious. So I was a little disappointed um, in myself that I didn't get the instructions right and missed that, you know, the blast off second cup. So you can rest assured that shit is not happening again tonight <laughs> because I'm ready for some healing and transformation. But it was a good learning experience to just kind of go with the flow and to trust the wisdom of the experience and the wisdom of the medicine that perhaps last night was meant to be a gentle introduction for me, as was indicated uh, the intention by the staff for all the noobs in the room that had yet to experience their first ayahuasca ceremony. So there's very few people in the room that have had prior experience, um, some quite a bit more than me, a couple and uh, some uh, fewer or the same. 
so it was a gentle night and it was actually a nice way to sort of immerse myself in the process and come back to my room and you know not feel kind of drunk walking up the steep hill that they have here and it was just it was super chill i kind of had my faculties however word to the wise when you are cautioned not to eat or drink anything after ceremony even if you don't feel under the influence of the medicine anymore don't do it unless you want to have a second trip because the funny thing about last night was I had the most psychoactive experience in the form of some really seemingly meaningless, bizarre-ass visions when I came back to my room and I was so hungry because you're fasting all day um, after 2 p.m., right? And even during the dieta, the food that you do eat here is like no sugar, no fat, no salt. It's very bland with purpose because that's part of the tradition. Uh, but I live on a high fat, high protein diet. So I'm not getting either of those. I'm just all carbs. So I'm starving all the time. And I came back to my room and I have some, you know, a little stash. Don't tell anyone, but I have a little stash of uh, some cashews in here. And I had a couple handfuls and they were like just divine. Then I lay down and go to bed and here comes the circus music. And I just start seeing all these really trippy visions. And I'm like, ah, not now. I want to go to sleep. Uh, so it really does reactivate the uh, medicine in some cases. So I just rolled with that. It was interesting and somewhat entertaining, but I'm not here to see colors and visions. I'm here to do deep work. But that was um, a little learning lesson there. Uh, and then I um, spent my time listening to a Joe Dispenza meditation, Blessing of the Energy Centers, while I was having these visions. And I kind of made the best of it. And it was actually a pretty uh, transformative experience as I lulled off into sleep at 1 a.m. But back to the ceremony last night, um, definitely different than others that I've experienced in the sense that, as I said, the room was so still and so quiet and... Uh, once the Icaros began the singing by our two guides, Teo and Marina, it was just, I mean, it was just beautiful, the sound. Um, and so I sort of just focused on that and just kind of surrendered into the experience and had a really great but gentle time. So with that, I will bid you farewell as I'm now down to 15 minutes before tonight's ceremony. And I have to say, since last night was so gentle, I'm, I have a little bit, I don't want to say apprehension, that's not the right word, but I'm a little bit like, oh shit, it's about to get real. Because I know once I go for that second cup, uh, based on my past experiences, that like it really starts to take off uh, in the best way. So I'm open-minded and the name of the game for me with this whole experience is just surrender and trusting the process and trusting myself and my intuition and my higher self and the guides and healers and facilitators. And of course, trusting most of all in this sacred, strangely beautiful medicine known as ayahuasca. Wish me luck. I can't wait to get back with a report after this experience. Thank you.
day five, post-ceremony two. So yesterday, we had a consultation with the two maestros, our healers from Peru, who are just amazing, amazing people. Teo and Marina, I'll talk more about them in a moment, but they're just the sweetest, sweetest people. And they're a couple, which makes it even more sweet. It's just, I was thinking about their karmic journey together and how they ended up leading ceremony together for many, many years. They didn't say how many years, but they're, they're older. And um, based on their energy, I would say they've been doing it for a long time. And they're carrying on the Shipibo tradition with flying colors. And it's interesting, I was thinking about in ceremony last night, which I'll get to in greater detail in a moment, but I was just really feeling their energy and how they hold the space. And when I've seen them during the day walking around, they're just like in their street clothes and you would never know there are these profoundly deep healers so steeped in this tradition. But it's the, the, the thought that occurred to me was by their fruits, you shall know them. And there's a lot of spiritual teachers and mystics and healers and quasi-healers that might have a really good message or be articulate or eloquent in the way that they're able to share spiritual knowledge and wisdom. But then when you kind of see them on the street or after their talk or when they're not on a podcast or leading a retreat and they don't necessarily seem happy, it's kind of like, spiritual leaders and teachers at times can be sort of like comedians, you know, it's like on stage, they're so funny. (laughs) In real life, energetically, I'm not really drawn to them or it doesn't seem like they are experiencing the fruits of their labors and that they're experiencing joy and peace. And that's not to put anyone down. It's just, it's, it's an observation. We all have our journey. And I also know that there are sages, saints, and mystics that have a gift to transmit shakti and wisdom to other people that have their own inner demons and struggles that don't necessarily allow them to experience uh, the effects of what they're teaching all the time. So everything is in motion and in flux, but point is... Teo and Marina just seem happier than shit. (laughs) Like when you see them chilling, you know, they're just normal people sitting there like on break on their phone or whatever, but you walk by and they just have light in their eyes and they just have such a great energy. So I had a a brief consult with them yesterday and set my intentions and just kind of sat before them with the translator and uh, it's kind of just, they get a sense of what you're all about. And as they, you know, serve the medicine, well, technically the facilitators serve the medicine, but they're definitely stewards of the whole experience, um, they get a sense for uh, each of our own energetic imprint and what we need. And so that was a, that was a brief but really cool experience. And then uh, to begin the evening of Ceremony 2, we did this the first night as well. I don't, I don't recall if I reported on that or mentioned it before, but we did a very light, about an hour, maybe even an hour and a half yin yoga session. And when they first told me, yeah, we do yoga and then go into ceremony, I'm like, dog, I don't want to be all sweaty. Like I'm not <laughs> doing a power yoga class and then sitting on my mat for 10 hours or something, but uh, it's yin yoga. So it's just very gentle and subtle and just 
allowing you to really get into your presence and into your body and into your breath. And it's a really great preparation for this type of ceremony, which is uh, just involves a lot of stillness. And I'll get into that a little, but that's how we started it off. And then the way these particular ceremonies work is the healers or maestros come in and then everything just gets very subtle. That's the best word I could use to perhaps describe the experience. The lights go off in the maloka and it's just dead quiet. And all you hear or see is, well, in this case, Teo and his lighter uh, lighting his uh, <laughs> mapacho. And uh, that's Nicotina Rustica. And, um, you know, it's these kind of little spliffs, these fatties that are traditionally smoked in this tradition. And I'm sure I'll be doing some more interviews and get some more kind of uh, context for the use of that tobacco. But it's an integral part of this whole uh, tradition here. So it's dark and you just see him like kind of, you know, sort of swaying a little bit and just you hear the lighter and then you just see these plumes of smoke and you smell it. And it's just very quiet like that for quite a while. And then um, then you go up and uh, get your first cup. And because my first night was essentially a nada, meaning I didn't really have a psychoactive experience, although it wasn't necessarily um, unpleasant, I just didn't get the wow factor that I was kind of looking for because I missed the second cup, etc. So last night, um, it's weird. I just heard some music being generated from somewhere deep in the jungle. You hear the strangest things I hear. You hear like some people down the road cranking music. Then you hear dogs barking. Then you hear cows mooing. Then you hear monkeys howling or whatever monkeys do. It's always um, such a beautiful soundscape here. And of course, the insects and the birds and all that. So uh, last night, I, you know, I wasn't going to let that happen. I did get my second cup, but the first cup was a huge full cup. And then, um, then they start singing the Icaros and uh, they're in the front of the room. And then it's indicated that when that first song is done, which Teo and Marina are both singing, what's interesting about these beautiful songs they're singing is they're both singing facing opposite directions. And you're not quite clear if they're singing the same song, but they're definitely out of phase while they sing. So they're not singing together in harmony or even in unison. They're singing very similar words in a similar melody, which you can't really tell if it's the same, but it's out of sync. It's out of phase. In other words, they're not at the same time with the words. But what's very interesting is that at times the words do sync just for a moment. There'll be one little phrase where they're together, which I found really fascinating. Then after that first song, there's a bit of silence and then they each go to one corner of the room and we're in a circle right on our mats. And then they start doing the individual ikaros where they sing to uh, you, like right in front of you. And that's just extremely powerful. But when that happens, that's the indication that it's now time for your second cup. And so uh, I wasn't going to miss that and I went up and got my second one. And long story short... Um, came back to my mat with a belly full of ayahuasca, big ass cup. And, um, it, you know, then it started to kind of hit me. And when it comes on, it's like, it comes on strong. And then I got my, 
cup and then uh, the two maestros came and sang in front of me and by the time uh, Marina got to me it was like full bore and I'm just in this complete vortex um, is the best way to describe it or just you know completely in this other dimension of reality far beyond what you might consider to be a hallucination it's just you're not hallucinating you're in this other sort of space and so that was incredibly beautiful and warm and I got the sense that I was speaking to it's not a her like a lot of people have this mother ayahuasca or some people talk to God or spirit to me it's a them and I'm kind of going all right what do you guys want to do what are we doing here and I start asking questions and then I get answers and uh, it's very much at least last night a process of inquiry where I'm just sort of like ah what's up with this thing or that thing just things that I'm working on within myself and in relationship to others and things like that and um, and then it's just hilarious like I'm just laughing my ass off and without going into too much detail and using up too much time essentially the first half of that experience last night was very much about self-love and self-appreciation and I began to just be incredibly um, appreciative and grateful for my life and it was just kind of, it was weird. It was sort of like my higher self giving me props for just doing good work in the world and, um, and for how far I've come and things like that and it was, um, it was a real exploration into a full sense of humility in that one side of humility is not being, uh, having a sense of superiority to others, right? Like you're humble and sort of meek. But the other side of humility that I really work on more, because I very rarely feel like I'm better than anyone, <laughs> uh, is the inferior side and feeling deserving and um, self-validated, etc. And so the exploration into gratitude and humility was more about being grateful for my life and the man that I have become and am becoming and the growth that's continuing to transpire and an appreciation for just my awesomeness. And that sounds funny, you know, to talk about on a podcast, like I'm so rad, but that really was the message of the medicine was like, dude, you're fucking rad. And, um, and then as Marina came to sing to me, it, she just she has the most angelic voice you can imagine. As as I was listening to her, I thought, God, I wonder if these guys have recorded her. I, I just want to share this with the world so so badly. She just has this most pristinely angelic sound emitting from her. And in contrast to the birds and the monkeys and the waves of the ocean and sometimes a motorcycle firing up a distant hill, uh, just the angelic nature of her otherworldly songs was so moving and I just felt so much gratitude and appreciation for her and her service and I was just extremely humbled by that and then as she finished they sort of scoot around on the floor you know and do one song for each person and then they they have their little pillow and their little spit bucket because they're they're smoking the mapacho and whatnot, and then they kind of scoot to the next person. And, and as she finished and went to scoot to the person to my right, she whispers just very briefly and very softly, 
gracias. And it was just, fuck. It just floored me that she thanked me for giving me such a beautiful gift. And I just thought, that's what it's all about. That's it right there. I mean, speaking of humility, I mean, it's just like, Jesus. It's like having, you know, one of the best singers in the world come and sing to your soul and then thank you for the opportunity to uh, allow them to do that. So that was that was very meaningful. And then I went into this, um, we're almost to the gnarly part, by the way. It's very beautiful now, but it takes a turn momentarily. So hang in there. Um, then uh, there was this guy, Jace, here. It's just an amazing guy, real sweetheart. He's, a, he's an Aussie, right? Uh, and right when I pulled my car up on the first day, he comes running up to me and he's like, oh my... Oh my God, it's you, mate. It's Luke's story. And I was like, sorry, I'm butchering the Aussie accent, but he has a real thick one. And um, I could never begin to imitate, but he turns out he's a listener to this podcast and like a super listener, like super fan, you know? And he was just so appreciative that I was here and it was just so wild to him. I'm trying to imagine like someone whose work I follow if I rolled up to a retreat and they were there, I'd be like so stoked and excited to meet him. And that's what he was expressing. Um, but anyway, we've chatted a bit and hung out a bit. He's a really great guy. And uh, mainly because he listens to this podcast. Um, no, he's just, he's a real sweetheart. And so we went to the beach yesterday and we really had a great chat. We're just getting to know each other. We have so much in common in terms of our past and just the kind of shit that we've been through and put ourselves through and all of that. And, um, and I just saw so much of myself in him. And in ceremony, just when I was in the thick of it, he came to me very strongly and I thought, man, I've got to help this guy. Like I, like he needs my help, but I just, I felt I had a message for him that could really be profoundly transformative. And so, you know, what that message essentially was about was, that's so weird because you'll, that's hard to explain like all of this. I mean, almost trying to put words to any of these experiences is just ridiculous because it's, the human language or any type of language is just completely inadequate when you're trying to express something so meaningful and ineffable, essentially. But the sense was that, you know, he's been hurt a lot, uh, like I have, and that, you know, he's, he's working on owning his value and his worth as a, as a person. And I found him a couple of times and I asked him if I could share this and he was, he was chill with it. I, of course, asked his permission and he was excited. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be, get a shout out on your podcast. And so, um, you know, he would like kind of keep apologizing for things like, oh, sorry, I'm going and on and on or something like that. Apologizing for shit you don't need to be apologizing for. And God, I could see myself in that sort of pathological accommodation, sort of people-pleasing, feeling as though you don't deserve to be breathing the same air as everyone else or walking on the same earth as other people and that there's some need to apologize. Not to say that there aren't times for amends and times where you do owe an apology, but a couple of times he let those out and I said, man, do yourself a favor. Stop apologizing. You have, you have every right to be you and do you. And... Um, and I could, you know, as I said, it's just, I see myself in that because it's something I've really had to work on uh, as well. So anyway, in the ceremony, I'm seeing him and I'm like, I have a message for him. And 
And part of the message was, man, I just wanted to put my hand on his chest and just say, dude, you are so fucking brave. You're, you're such an epic man. You're so loving. You have so much kindness in you. And I just, I want you to know that I see you and that you're perfectly divine just the way you are. And I never want you to fucking apologize for being who you are. And as I was sharing that with him in a, in a projecting kind of way into what I had hoped to be able to share with him today, which eventually I kind of did in a different way, it was a little less dramatic. But as I was saying those words to him in this kind of vision experience, the words were immediately coming back and reflecting on me. So it was like a mirror. I was like saying it to him, but it was back to me. Or it was as if the medicine was like, no, this is your fucking message too which of course it, it really is. And then the really cool part about it is the next words that came to me to tell Jace were, man, you are a fucking lion. Dude, you are a brave, proud lion. You're so strong and so noble. Such a noble man. And just that word, the lion. And then again, it was reflected back to me that that was something that I could also take ownership of legitimately. And today when we had our process group, which is kind of where everyone shares about their experience, uh, Jace was sharing about a realization that he had last night where he came in contact with his spirit animal. And I'm sitting across the <laughs> Maloka going, fucking lion, are you about to say lion, dude? You gotta be shitting me. And then he goes on and on and he didn't say lion. And I was like, I've got to ask him afterward. This would be wild if I was like, that dude's a lion. You're a lion. And then he mentioned something about it and I was with my cubs and I thought, okay, this can't be happening. And I wanted him to not say the word lion so I could go up to him and be like, freak him out, you know, and be like, lion, right? <laughs> but he did say it. And I was like, holy shit, that is some wild, that's some wild activity right there. I mean, it just goes to show there's something much more going on here than people seeing funny colors and geometric shapes and, you know, all of the sort of ah, the bells and whistles that come with a psychedelic experience. I don't even think of ayahuasca as psychedelic, to be honest. It's so much different than like a LSD or mushrooms or something. To me, it's just, it's like, it's more like it transports you into another dimension. It's like you're not in this dimension hallucinating. You are in another very rare space. Anywho, I tell him the story and he's just like, what? So that was a really neat experience to see that sort of telepathic energy of connection. And it's a reaffirmation of the oneness that exists between all of us and uh, the oneness of mind, of universal consciousness, the oneness of soul, the oneness of heart, and the oneness of love. And just that I felt so much love for this guy in that experience. And I didn't need to know him very well. I just needed to see him for who he is and see his perfection and worth and have that reflected back to me and then shared that experience with him, which was really special. So that's the good news. After that happened, uh, <laughs> dude, then the, 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 what I call the vortex, like when you're just in this deep water, man, it's just, you're in this other thing. And again, it's just, it's, 
absurd to try to describe it with words and anyone listening that's done ayahuasca knows exactly what I'm talking about. And they're like, dude, don't bother to try to explain it. It's pointless. But after that, then I just started getting terribly sick. And I just felt like my entire abdomen was full of gallons of this fucking ayahuasca. And I couldn't get comfortable and my back hurt and I was sweating. And then I wasn't in that like deep vortex anymore. I was just straight up hallucinating. There were no like insights or communications with spirit. There were no questions and answers. It was just like kind of laying there going, fuck, when's this going to end? And then ceremony ended and then it got even deeper. And then it got to the point where I'm just thinking, why did I do this? Like, I am never doing this shit ever again. Fuck the last two ceremonies. I'm done. Where's the kill switch? I mean, I literally was like thinking about like a breaker box on the side of your house where you can turn the power off. I was like, where's the off switch? I just want to power this down, baby. I'm good. Like, I'm done. It was very, very uncomfortable. Um, what could be sort of construed as a bad trip? But I think in the realm of psychedelics a bad trip would be more like you're seeing demons or some darkness or negativity or something there was no negativity it was just like abject suffering physically and um just wanted it to end i'm like i'm good and that went on we came in the the uh the room here at um i think about 8 p.m and the whole thing for me ended at 6 30 i think yeah 6 30 a.m and it gets light here at like 5 15 or something so you know the sun's coming up which i'm never a fan of i don't like being up still when the sun comes up it just reminds me of dark times uh so the only thing i could really get get <laughs> the only solution i could come up with at that point was a i was laying here and i had to i had to make a number two and uh, so you know, I had to get over there. The bathrooms, I'm looking at them right now, you know, as I sit, as I said, and on my mat number 13, which maybe was kind of an ominous sign as to what would follow last night. But uh, I did manage to get over to the bathrooms and take care of business. And I realized like, man, there's still more in my stomach. I got to get this shit out. And so I don't remember if it's kind of against tradition or the guidelines to induce your own vomiting, but I wasn't, it wasn't going to happen naturally. So I just shoved my finger down my throat and got it out and just, you know, it was just super sour and bitter and nasty. And, uh, you know, there's no food because you're fasting uh, for the second half of the day. So it's just the medicine coming out. And it really does taste like medicine at that point, sort of like a, like a rancid um, Jägermeister. <laughs> Maybe the best way to describe it. That's what it tastes like to me. But anyway, there is good news to follow. After I did that, then I was able to come inside and quasi sleep, kind of sleep. But you know, again, there's like someone next to you that's kind of having an experience and talking and then there'll be someone snoring or something like that. So, and then all the animal sounds and as the sun started to come up, the birds get really loud. So there was no sleep, but I, I couldn't leave the Maloka because I couldn't walk up the hill. I just knew I wouldn't make it. And there's really no one around because the ceremony had ended so many hours before, maybe at midnight or something. So I'm just kind of like on my own, just like, oh my God, what just happened? But anyway, I started feeling better and kind of coming down. And then I, I managed to get up the hill and make it to my room. And uh, and once I got up there, you know, I felt, felt a lot better and was able to drink a little bit of water. And then I, I went to go to sleep and <laughs> the funniest thing happened, but for some reason, the Lenny Kravitz song off the album Mama Said 
uh, always on the run <laughs> popped into my head. I have no idea why. It's totally weird. Maybe there's a, a metaphor there that I'm, you know, not aware of yet. But anyway, I had the thought. I said, "Shit, my phone's right there. I have Spotify. I got some great headphones." And so I put in Spotify, Lenny Kravitz, and there pops up that album. And uh, and I put on that song, and then just ended up actually just laying there listening to that whole album, which I used to be a huge fan of. It's been many years, but back when it came out in the early '90s, uh, when I was playing in bands and stuff, that was like just such a groundbreaking uh, record at that time. And so I think I probably had it on vinyl. Yeah, probably. I mean, they had CDs, I think, at that time, but I think I had the record, and uh, I used to just crank that. But it was so amazing listening to that with the headphones because it was just so masterfully uh, performed and produced. Like the production is just incredible and the songwriting and musicianship and it was just a glorious experience to kind of end feeling really shitty with like wow this is just beautiful music totally random um hey lenny by the way if you ever hear this podcast i would love to interview you you seem like a really interesting person side note any homies of lenny reach out reach out to my boy and we'll uh talk about the album <laughs> but that's kind of how the night ended and then uh you know, came to kind of this morning, got very little sleep and was just feeling super gnarled. Uh, I used my new calm sort of uh, entrainment meditation software today for about an hour. And then I was able to really get some great rest. It's kind of for, you do a 50 minute session of that and it's equivalent of two or three hours of sleep. So that brought me back online and then I missed breakfast and uh, made it to lunch and then tonight was rad because we had dinner and so I find myself really hungry here a lot not because they don't feed you but the dieta you know there's no salt sugar or fat and it's just I don't know my body's like uh, hello I feel like every time I eat a huge meal I just ate some air or styrofoam or something that's not feeling at all so today was great to get to eat a bit more and that brings me um, to where we are now it's like nine seventeen and as I record this segment right here, I'm running an Instagram live and I've been doing that quite a bit. By the way, follow me on Instagram and you'll be able to see uh, my wacky hijinks like this in real time. But we had our day off tonight, you know, from the medicine and then there's a ceremony tomorrow, uh, which will be Thursday and then Friday. And then we have a day off on Saturday and then I leave Sunday to go to Santa Teresa, another great little beach town here where I'm going to go integrate and just chill over Christmas and do my thing. So I'm feeling good now. I, of course, woke up today going, ah, I got to do it again. You know, I'm just, I think I'm going to ease up on the dosing a little bit because I ain't trying to be on ayahuasca for 10 hours. Like that's just too much. And um, I would like to feel a little less sick, but you know, it is what it is. You just, I got one more notch in my belt and I've proved to myself that I'm able to make it through uh, a pretty arduous journey and um you know do my best to not fight it and just trust the process and just be there for myself and allow myself to have whatever experience i need so uh, i had no plan to make this a 27 minute report but i guess uh, it needed to be stated and there was a lot to report so who knows how many episodes this will end up taking in the end uh, the last time i did a ayahuasca retreat report it ended up being a trilogy and so who knows, this one might be too. Now I've already got one interview to kind of bake in there. As you know, you've already heard it earlier. So I'm, uh, I'm off to bed and I'm gonna 
throw on my raw optics blue blockers and hike my ass up the hill after I finish this one last little bit of my mapacho. Mm. Damn, those are good. I got to be careful with these mapachos. I might be trying to smuggle some back home and become a full-time smoker. Until we meet again, I'm signing out. Day six check-in. It's the night of the third ceremony and one that I have, I would say, the most apprehension about uh, due to the fact that there was a few hours of sheer agony at the end of the second ceremony. But hey, I live to tell the tale and uh, such things are out of our control when it comes to the medicine world and everything in our world for that matter. So I talked to one of the facilitators today about uh, getting a more moderate dose, perhaps one that doesn't last 10 hours or whatever it was. And uh, we came up with a little bit of a game plan, a loose game plan, uh, subject to intuition and timing and all of that. But um, I feel good about it, but I'm definitely not racing down there to jump in line. Uh, today was a beautiful day, lots of rest. I just got done doing some theta training, which is making it really hard to even talk for a couple minutes uh, on the uh, brain tap device that I have. It's kind of a brain entrainment light show thing. Very cool. Had a couple insights there. And then also down at the beach today, did a little uh, naked sun time down there, which was fantastic. I was able to find a little cubby in the corner between a couple rocks and um, keep it real for El Sol. And uh, that felt really good until a few little kids were like behind me laughing at me. Luckily, I was face down at that point. Uh, and I looked up and they were running down the beach. It was quite hilarious, but uh, it was a very lighthearted, mellow day. And I was pretty blissed out uh, considering... Uh, you know, what took place uh, <laughs> during the last ceremony it was kind of tough to bounce back from. But here I go into number three, and uh, you'll be hearing this in the future. Otherwise, I would say, say a little prayer for me, and I'll talk to you on the other side. Well, what a wild ride that was, huh, folks? If you made it to the end of part one in this series, I want to congratulate your commitment to your own evolution and curiosity. And I want to more than anything, thank you for joining me on this very supernatural experience at Soltara Healing Center. Now, if you're ready, you can tune right into part two to catch my journey summary and my reports on the very last ceremony, as well as an interview with Daniel Cleland, the co-founder of Soltara, and their lead facilitator, Todd Michael Roberts. So those will be the interviews uh, in part two. And part two is fantastic. I mean, those guys, especially that interview, they are 
they blow my damn mind. I mean, these guys have so much experience in this world and we really cover a lot in that. So uh, when you have time, tune in for part two and hear the rest of the story. And then Friday, as promised, I will be doing the side-by-side comparison bonus show uh, where I talk about all of the different features at Rhythmia and Soltara. And in case you missed the intro, I'm just going to say, spoiler alert, there is no better. They are both freaking awesome and very, very different. And it's going to be really fun to break that down for those of you that are curious about what those differences are. Because I think uh, for each person, uh, you know, I was thinking while I was at Soltar, I was like, oh, this place would be great for this friend, this friend, and this friend. And I thought of three or four other people and I thought, oh, they would really like Rhythmia. And it doesn't really matter. There's not like competition between these centers. They're all helping people heal and expand their consciousness. But I thought it would be really useful for uh, people that were asking those questions. I realized quickly when I came back from Soltara that there's no way I could keep up with those DMs. I started to explain it to a couple people and I decided, oh no, I just need to do a podcast episode. So there you go. And also, uh, you know, make sure you go back and listen to the Rhythmia trilogy series, episodes 202 and 203. I think that you will gain a lot of information from those as well. And you'll find some contrast between the two centers just from that. I mean, all in all, I think between the five, this will be six episodes in total about these two trips to Costa Rica. I don't know how many hours, probably six hours, eight hours or something. You know, I've done a lot of recording around this because I got to say, man, in the past year, uh, I mean, the game has changed for me, especially as you now know, listening to, you know, my stories throughout these interviews with our guests and stuff. Um, you know, after having been someone that hadn't so much as taken one bong hit in 22 years at the time that I went to Rhythmia or, you know, a sip of wine or anything. I mean, stone cold, goddamn sober. Apart from in the beginning years, lots of coffee and cigarettes, which could be, you know, you could debate whether you're really sober if you do that. I think to the degree that I was chugging that stuff, probably not. But at any rate, um, the past years has been really wild for me. Uh, also very recently did three peyote ceremonies, which of course will be an upcoming episode of the Life Stylist podcast, because this is all about building the ultimate lifestyle. It's about integrating different healing technologies and modalities and practices to uplift your body, mind, and spirit. Speaking of uplifting, let's get your ass into Upgrade Labs Biohacking Conference, where I'll be doing a talk March 27th through 29th. Then I'll be at Paleo Effects April 24th through 26th. And finally, one that's very much in alignment with these episodes is the Meet Delic event, May 2nd and 3rd in LA, which is a psychedelic wellness uh, summit. And I'm really excited about that. Dave Asprey's going to be there and Chris Ryan and Duncan Trussell and all sorts of wacky cosmonauts. To get tickets to the events at which I am a speaker or participant, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash events. That's lukestory.com forward slash events. I want to thank you for listening. But guess what? There would be no show if it wasn't for our sponsors, man. So let's talk about thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. These guys make an insanely cool and scientifically uh, proven spore-based probiotic to keep your gut and digestion healthy. I take this stuff every freaking day, y'all, and it's really helped me out. So go to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. And the code there, of course, we got a discount for you. Always the code there is Luke15 for 15% off. Then my friends at Juve, I actually just turned, I, I did two Juve sessions today. I was hardcore. 
Uh, and then I took a break here. I'm live streaming at the moment, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, uh, turned on my red light for the folks watching just because why not? It's just a beautiful light. And I am obsessed with red light therapy. Go to juve.com. Uh, what's the URL? Forward slash Luke, I think. Shit. I think I wrote it down wrong. Oh, yeah, there it is. Now it is. I got it right. Juve.com forward slash Luke. Get down with some red light therapy. What's really cool about the Juves is they have uh, small and large um, uh, units. Wow, that sounds really phallic. Large units. I know. Some people like those. Uh, wow, this is what happens when I get tired. But no, seriously, you can get uh, Juve red light panels also in a modular configuration. So you can build your Juve starting with uh, one and keep adding them on. The The device I have is called the Juve Elite. And I think it's uh, like six panels and it definitely covers the whole body. If you want to be super gangster and you're hella rich, you could get like two elite units or even four and just stand in the middle of it and blast yourself 360. That would be pretty awesome. And also, just as a side note, I got a new little EMF tester. And um, I've been going around my house like a freaking psycho testing the EMFs on all my different devices and things like that. Because a lot of the stuff you use for health, like healing technologies, biohacking, a lot of them are stupidly designed and they put off a lot of EMF, which is so annoying because they have so many benefits, but then you're frying yourself. So I went up to my Zen Den, my little cottage in the backyard where I keep all this wacky stuff, the oxygen chamber and the biocharger and the amp coil and all the things. Uh, and I was like, oh, please, Juve, don't suck. And the Juve checked out really well. I tested the electric fields. It wouldn't have RF. Well, actually, it has Bluetooth, but it, mine's always turned off. I don't, I just, I only have Bluetooth on in emergencies. But I tested the electric field and um, it stops about an inch out from the unit, which is really cool. So it does produce a little field, but you would never stand an inch away. You, you stand like three or four inches away from the juve. So I was like, God damn, because they make that claim. And I kind of wanted to see if it was true. Juve, guys, not that I don't trust you, but you know what I'm saying? Like everyone has a different interpretation or a different method of testing, let's say. So the juve is freaking rad. Red light therapy, boost testosterone, good for your skin, wrinkles, all kinds of stuff. Juve.com forward slash Luke. That's J-O-O-V-V. And last, but oh my God, certainly not least, my friends over at Saqqara. Dude, I, I really like, I don't like using the word hate. I hate using the word hate, but I hate cooking. I hate grocery shopping. I don't even really like eating. To me, it's kind of like when the food comes out of you is like as important to me as when the food comes in. Um, you know, a nice meal here or there, take the lady on a date. Sure, I dig it. The social aspect and sometimes food does taste delicious when you're really hungry, but I really don't care about it. So uh, it, it, because of that, I end up in a house with nothing to goddamn eat and I'll be scrounging around for cashews in my pantry or something. It's ridiculous. Thanks to Saqqara, I get delicious meals delivered right to my door. They are incredibly nutritious absolutely organic and actually just really delicious. And, you know, if you listen to my podcast a lot, you know, I'm a big meat eater. I just like to keep it simple. I want fat, protein, calories in quick fish, meat, boom, done. 
So I don't tend to eat a lot of vegetables, but Saqqara actually, I don't know how they do this. They're magicians. They make vegetables taste good to the point where I will actually eat them. So they're a plant-based meal delivery service. Now that said, I still crush tons of meat to balance it out. But if you're a plant-based person, vegan person, Saqqara is going to change the game for you. It's freaking amazing. So go to sakara.com forward slash Luke. And if you use the code Luke, you're going to save 20% off your order. That's sakara.com forward slash Luke. Always remember, you can find all of my sponsors at lukestory.com forward slash store, where I've got, I think, 120 something products in there. These are all the things sitting around my house, everything that I've tested, vetted, um, that I approve of, that I recommend. I stand behind everything in my store. If I find out anything in there sucks, I take it down. Honestly, like how I tested the Jew for EMF. Um, if it came out high EMF, I would, uh, wait, what would I do in that situation? Well, I would um, probably just be honest about the fact that, uh, you know, a certain device has, it's not perfect, but the benefits of it outweigh whatever's wrong with it. You know, in the case that something produces some EMF or something. Like, for example, I get a good example. So when I stand in my juve, uh, I rather than just standing there on the ground like a dummy, I stand on a bulletproof vibe plate, which is amazing. It's like 1500 bucks, which I know it's a lot of money, but it it's like it's indestructible. It's the most sturdy vibe plate I've ever found. And it vibrates at a very specific frequency. It's the frequency that's the best one for your joints and getting rid of... Um, uh, which we call it cellulite and just tones your muscles and it just wakes you up and drains your lymph system. It's just fucking awesome. Like I love vibrating. And if I'm going to stand in front of the juve and get bored, I might as well vibrate. Now the vibe plate and so many other things that have a motor in them produce a massive magnetic field, which is not awesome. But the benefits, for example, of standing on that vibe plate for me and I challenge anyone to find a vibe plate that doesn't have a magnetic field. It's not like Bulletproof is doing anything wrong. I'm not throwing them under the bus. It's just I test this stuff because I want to know and then make, you know, a grown ass decision whether or not it's worth it. The benefits of vibration therapy a couple times a day, 10 minutes, you know, stand in front of the juve by far outweigh the detriment of being exposed to a magnetic field on my feet and I guess my shins for that period of time. Like it's not a big deal. When I get in my uh, SUV, I've tested the magnetic fields in there. Oh my God, dude. It is off the goddamn charts. So I don't know how you get around that. You buy like a 57 Ford or something. I don't know what you do. Um, I don't even have a hybrid. Those can be really high EMF. But um, yeah, so I think, well, I'm going to stand on this thing for 10 minutes. I'm not going to trip on that. I'll go on a nine-hour road trip and just be completely fried by the magnetic field coming off the engine and uh, you know all of the bells and whistles in front of you near the steering wheel. What's that stuff called? Uh, I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. So anyway, there you go. You can find the raddest stuff ever at lukestory.com forward slash store. Thank you so very much for joining me on this journey we call life the expansion and evolution of my consciousness, my health, my healing. It's so fun to be able to do this for a living. I'm just, I'm living my life, like seriously, living my best life and putting in a little extra effort to document what I'm doing and share it with you so you can come along in the sidecar, you know, like I'm in the motorcycle, you're my sidekick, you're here with me. You're my friend, my colleague, my peer, uh, let's do this together. And uh, I truly believe that if each person really works on their emotional, spiritual, 
physical, psychological health, and we really take responsibility for ourselves, the world is going to be a much better place. And that's really my philosophy. That's why you don't really see me getting behind causes and social activism and all of this kind of stuff. Nothing against that. I have much respect for people that voice their you know, their beliefs and, and, and all of that. And thank God somebody's helping to clean up the oceans and do all the things that those people are doing. But for me, I just want to raise my own consciousness and, and vibrate as much love and compassion for others as possible. And how I do that is starting with those things unto myself. It's kind of the uh, put on your own oxygen mask first theory. And that's what I'm doing. And it's such a pleasure to be able to share um, this experience with you. So from the depths of my heart, I thank you so much for listening. And if you're hearing my voice right now, you're a super fan of the Lifestylist Podcast. Peace out. Check in for part two coming right up.